in five, four, three, two, one. Obi Trice, real name, no gimmicks. Welcome back to that same old place that you laughed about. Guess who's back? Back, back, back again. Mike Rutherford. He's back. Mike Rutherford Show on the Big X Sports Radio. It is kind of a hot one in here again. It was freezing here yesterday. It was a balmy, like 75 in here on Wednesday. And now we're back to kind of, it's, it's a little toasty in here, but that's okay. Maybe we have to pop that op- that window back open. But welcome in, everybody, to the Friday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. Coming to you, as always, from the University of Louisville College of Business Studio. Visit business.louisville.edu to find out what the UofL School of Business can do for you. We're here from 3 to 6 today on 1450 AM, 96.1 FM, streaming all over the land. You know what better as the Big X. Wrapping up the week, once again, Matt McGavick back here with us in studio. Very happy to have him. Uh, he was on Wednesday. Then yesterday we had a guest-heavy solo show. We've got Gary still producing the hell out of the show behind the glass, uh, per usual. We'll have TK back on Monday. Lots to get to today. Um, for starters, first of all, Matt, thank you for coming in. No, thank you for having me again. you got the Vikings hoodie on, which I just look. <laughs> Listen, it, it. I'm wearing it for Teddy. This is this is. I got this hoodie when Teddy was first drafted, and it it didn't really occur to me that I'm wearing. A I'm mad at the Vikings hoodie. right now. I, <laughs> I needed one thing for them from them in my entire life, which was to beat the Packers last weekend, and they just didn't come close to getting it done. I called the guy I do the podcast with my buddy, who's actually in town this weekend. Danny is like a diehard Vikings fan. They've mm-hmm. owned us our entire lives. I've called them the Fraud Kings all year because I don't think they're any good. No, but they have great records. And so I'm like, you know, just one time I'm rooting for you, and they just got their asses absolutely handed to them. So now the Lions not only have to beat the Packers this weekend, but they need the Seahawks to lose beforehand. So I'm kind of upset about it, but it's okay. I mean, if it makes you feel any better, I'm not actually a Vikings fan. I just wear this. I just got this because of Teddy. I'm a Colts fan, but I don't know if that's any better. It makes me feel worse. You're bringing negative energy into the studio, and I don't need it right now. But that's okay. <laughs> uh, yesterday's show, I did love that I come in here, I'm solo. We have guest-heavy show. You know, we're kind of – there's news to talk about. But for the most part, right. we're, we're vamping a little bit. We're talking about Gary's birthday and my wife's birthday. And, we, you know, we're all over the place. And then at 6.01, some news that would have been nice to talk about <laughs> as it tends to happen finally Every breaks. time, man. You Every were so time. mad as you were walking out last night. <laughs> I was mad, <laughs> yeah. but I'm also used to it because it's like this – and I know everybody in sports radio does this thing where it's like, it happens right when I get off the air. Recently, it has happened a lot when we've just gotten <laughs> off the air where a big piece of news that we've kind of been waiting to break uh, happens to break. And as I'm getting ready to shut the laptop and go pick up some turkey from Paul's and then go home, I see that Kevin Coleman has committed to UofL on his visit, which is it's great news. I just would have liked to have ha- it to happen, like, I don't know, two hours earlier so we could have talked about it. But we've got a lot of football stuff to get to today. We've got a little bit of basketball stuff to get to today. Cards play tomorrow. We can talk about Wake Forest. Woo. A little bit. I mean, you know, the, thing, the dangerous thing, and I'm sure you know this, is 
you can't talk just about the basketball topic that's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Anytime we can spend the first hour talking about Kevin Coleman, we can talk about the transfers that are coming into town this weekend. We can talk about the the recruits that are committing this weekend to whoever, maybe Louisville, maybe somebody else. We can get into all that stuff. And then if we switch the conversation to like Wake Forest for a split second, we can talk about Appleby. We can talk about Steve Forbes. We can talk about the point spread. It's just going to devolve into like Kenny Payne. Yep. How many games does he need to? And that's the way it, it's every, the way it goes. Time, man. This is just how it works. But uh, uh, we're going to start with football in just a second. I do want to say just to clarify, I put the I, I do a hey the show's coming on tweet every single day where I just put the text line number out there. By the way, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton sex line. Give the streaming link and say, hey, just so you know, we're, we're, we're coming on the air. And I put a little picture out there. And today, it's a picture from, I started watching, I've been wanting to watch this show for a long time, but welcome to Wrexham, which is the, the story of Ryan Reynolds and Rob uh, McElhaney, who's the, oh, okay. the guy from uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Yeah. They pulled their money together and bought a fifth division English soccer club a, a few years ago. And they, this That's shows right, the, the yeah. documentary of this happening. And so it's awesome, by the way. I, I bought it last night. It's, it's still going. I think there's new episodes are still coming out on a weekly basis. And they're only like 25 minutes, which makes it very easy to watch. But I love the show. But the very first episode, it's a, a Welsh soccer team. And they cut to some guy who's like the head of like the the soccer club supporters. And he, he runs a food stand. And he, out of nowhere, he's just like, Rutherford is dreadful. He's like, he's like, he's like, we've got this player who's just he's piss poor. We call we hate Rutherford around here, and, like, and it just go, it just starts ripping this Rutherford. I'm like, what, what the hell? And I knew that I've got like, my family is from Ireland. Mm-hmm. My I think great grandfather was the first person to come over here. But Rutherford is a it's a Scottish name. It does there are some Welshmen who are are Rutherfords. I know that it's over there. So it's it, I was a little bit surprised. It caught me off guard. But then they go they actually focus on the player himself, whose name is Paul Rutherford, which is the same name as my oldest brother. And it's very sad like, to talk about like the the troubles of being a player in the fifth division, having to support his family and all this stuff. And if you don't, you, if you don't want to know how the first episode ends, then turn your radio off for like 20 seconds. But he gets cut at the, very, at the end of the very first episode. <laughs> he gets a red card. Like they, they all hate this guy. He apparently sucks. They put him on the field in a must-win game at the end of their first season. And he commits a awful foul, gets a red card, gets shown off, and they release him the next day, and that's how the episode ends. And I was like, well, this is not great for the family. S- setting the tone well, I see. But I'm enjoying the show. It's a terrific show. And it's a team in the fifth division of what? English tier soccer is where Yes. So okay. basically they're in the last, the bottom division for fully professional teams. Oh, okay. Like the, every division b- below them is semi-pros. And I like how they, you know, they... I, I, see, I, I didn't know that. See, I, I know enough about... I have like the the a baseline knowledge of European soccer, and so I knew some of the stuff. But I do like that the show the show like like lays it all out for American viewers who clearly have no idea what soccer is like. And the guy, it's an, an Englishman who's telling the story and kind of breaking down the division system. And he's like, it's sort of like in, in relegation and in promotion and all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. And he's like, it's sort of like if the Yankees lost 150 games one year, they would go down to AAA. And they would play the likes of the, and he starts naming off teams. I'm like, oh, say Louisville Bats, say Louisville Bats. And he doesn't. But he's like, he's like, and if they just kept losing, it kept, they would wind up playing beer league softball. And I was like, I, that's a good way to put it because there are a, there are a ton of semi pro leagues in England that technically are on the the pyramid. Gotcha. But this is the the fifth division is the lowest of like fully pro players, and these guys are still they're making like you know, thirty nine thousand dollars a year, thirty nine thousand euro a year, and then, you know they're. 
five of them are living in one house at some point. It, it sort of it reminds you a little bit of the the salaries that you hear for like like my baseball or you you or USL like Loose City around. Oh yeah, that's true. And I texted Greer because I don't. <laughs> when I have soccer questions, I've got buddies who played soccer who know, and I always, I'm always like, I know this is a dumb question, or I hope it's not a dumb question, but I think it is. And I'm watching the show, and I'm like, how would a a club like Lou City, second division basically in America? I know they don't like that distinction. You know, there's not but, really a pyramid, like, but they're kind but, of, but it is, yeah. but but there is. Let's be real. How would a team like that stack up against a team like like Wrexham or these fifth division English clubs? And Greer's like. Never been more happy to entertain one of my questions than this one. Like he's, you text Greer about basketball or, or what's going on, like U of L thoughts, and he kind of respond to you. He's like, "We talk about this a lot, and I'm playing, and I, and I think we played with this MLS team last year, and we hung right with them, and all." He's like, "And I think MLS is probably equivalent to the second or third division." And he was like, "His answer was basically yes." I was like, "I kind of want to see it. Bring Wrexham over here. Let's see what they can do against Blue City. Why not make it happen?" But it's a fun show. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> I might have to look into it. You should. It, it's good. Uh, to, to quote Trevor Kelsey's <laughs> comment that he says 95 times a show, it's good. You'd like it. <laughs> See, I, I've always wanted to try and get into the EPL, but every time I try and get into it, I'm like, okay, what teams do I want to cheer for? Or like, who, who would I get into? That internal discussion lasts like a week, yeah. and I just stopped caring about soccer. I sound like it's stereotypical American around the World Cup. It's tough for for me, somebody who didn't grow up following all this stuff. It's it's tough to get into, and I I mean I, I like it, I understand, but I'm not going to get up every Saturday morning and 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 watch these matches. I also like the only the club that I picked back when I did this like in college, and it was just based on FIFA because I got randomly assigned them when I was playing FIFA for the first time in my life was West Brom, West Bromwich Albion, mm-hmm. and they're like in the third division now in England. Like they're not any good, so like I like, you don't you don't get to watch them play Chelsea on national TV or anything. So I'm kind of just. I would just hate to be that. I'm guy. a city guy. I would just hate to be that guy that wakes up at 5 a.m. or 6 a.m. just to tweet. What a bleeping disgrace! Every Saturday. There was a period there <laughs> where where Twitter first got when Twitter first got popular, and every Saturday morning I was like, "What is everybody talking about? Like, <laughs> like who is this person?" And I was like, "Oh, it's a soccer thing. It was either soccer or pro wrestling." And I had no frame of reference for either anymore. And you just kind of realize at some point, like this is this is what it is. Now it's just like I'm like, who is this person? I'm like, oh, it's somebody from BTS or somebody from YouTube. Whenever I see somebody <laughs> trending that I don't know, it's reality star, YouTuber, or BTS, and that's yeah, that tracks. You just kind of assume that that's what's going on. We got plenty to get to today. Like I said, football heavy show I think because of the the big time news and because it's mostly positive news around these parts. So text us at five zero two four one four fourteen fifty if you have thoughts, questions, comments, concerns. But let's talk about. The previously mentioned story that broke at uh, 6.01 yesterday, <laughs> and that was Jackson State wide receiver transfer Kevin Coleman, who we knew was in town on, I think, Wednesday was when he set the picture out of, of him at Muhammad Ali International yeah. Airport. Commits to Louisville officially, does so in a video that he put out there. Former you know, top 200 recruit, four-star kid who went to Jackson State, caused a lot of waves when he did so, had some nice numbers there, very He's a burner. He's fast. He's somebody that I think Jeff Brom can get excited about and who can utilize in a way I think people you know, want the next two-two at well. Your thoughts? I know you've broken them down over there at Louisville Report. Kevin Coleman, how big of a get is this for Jeff Brom? He's a, he's a. I'm not going to like gush over him because he is you know just going into his second year of college. But considering he was a true freshman and put up was it 475 and three touchdowns as a true freshman. I, I get it's Jackson State FCS level, but he still was impactful as a true freshman and one swack freshman of the year honor. So that's that's not anything to sniff at. Not bad. So I'm and he's he's got wheels and he was peaking towards the end of this year, which is better than the exact opposite when you get kind of play 
lesser competition show out, and then as you as the competition upscales, you start to just kind of scale back in your overall production and role. The opposite was true for Coleman. And it seems like the I'm still wondering like what Jeff Brom's overall goal with the wide receiver room is because it seems like we're start, they're actually starting to run out of room. We got a lot of them. Because I'm looking and at there it. There may be another one coming soon. There, there very well might be. But I'm looking at it now who they're on track to have for 2023, and there's currently slated to be 11 scholarship receivers, which, I mean, hey, considering how – lackluster the passing game was hell maybe yeah. they do need more wide receivers but I, I i do like where he's going he's he's it seems for the most part he's focused more so on the the type of guys who are a little bit smaller not like super small but smaller burner type because you know in this day and age of, of football like speed's the name of the game you can coach and teach everything else but you can't coach speed and i like that he's brought in guys like coleman Callaway, who didn't really, he showed flashes at Tennessee, but wasn't like super impactful, but maybe a fresh start to, could do him well. Uh, Katara Six, we know he has burners. Mm-hmm. William Fowles has potential, so is Jaleel McLean. There's there's a lot of guys, I'm, I'm talking like in a broad sense for the overall wide receiver room, there's a lot of guys who have potential, but there's still a lot of questions as to what some of these guys are going to do in year one. And it's the same thing that we said last year going into the season, was you feel like you've got a lot of bodies now. They brought in a lot of receivers. Even though they lost Justin Marshall, they lost uh, Jordan Watkins, and they lost Tyler Harrell, who all had, you know, Marshall had a productive season at Buffalo. Uh, Watkins was kind of similar to his his production at Louisville, a little bit less at Ole Miss, and then Tyler Harrell injuries kept him off the field pretty much the entire season. But you, you just, you are hoping that it was going to be a large stable and a couple of those guys were going to really step up and distance themselves from the pack and, and give you more than maybe it looked like they were going to on paper. And that, I mean, Tyler Hudson was was really good. There's no way around it. But it didn't really materialize. You, you didn't have that big play, constant threat, the guy who was constantly getting you separation. And I think you know part of the reason why the passing game never got going certainly falls on the shoulders of Malik Cunningham. Mm-hmm. But another reason was you didn't have guys that he trusted. Like, they, they never really meshed. And so now you see sort of a similar build. I, I think Jeff Brom looks at it and he's like, cool, we're getting back some of these guys who have been – finally it's nice to have Braden Smith back Mm -hmm. if you get D Wiggins back that could be nice but we we've seen what they can do for the most part and it's not quite enough unless they're going to become big we keep waiting for Amari Huggins Bruce to break out and he's shown flashes but it hasn't really been consistent so Jeff Brom is kind of saying look it's great that we're bringing back guys with so much experience but let's say the first couple of weeks that D Wiggins isn't getting it done let's let's say that Amari Huggins Bruce is not showing signs of becoming finally that breakout player We've got younger guys that we can just throw out in the field and get maybe similar production for, but who can become better for us two or three years down the line. Mm-hmm. And I think that Kevin Coleman kind of fits that mold. I think Brom also has seen the big problem for Louisville's offense last year, and it's in direct conflict with what made it so successful the first couple of years, was the lack of explosive play. And explosive yeah. plays have become the name of the game in college football. It's you know It used to always be turnovers, and turnover battles is still important, but explosive plays by and large are an easy metric to use to separate the teams that are winning and the teams that aren't. And Louisville was not great at explosive plays last year. And when they got beat early in the season, it was because the defense was giving up explosive plays. Thankfully, they were able to. Yeah, and once they shored that up, it was then they the offense. The offense like still kind of struggled, but once the defense was able to cut out most of those explosive plays that they were giving up, they looked markedly better. Absolutely, and, and Coleman is a guy who can generate explosive plays, which also leads us to the next 
point of discussion right now, which is we found out today that uh, Georgia State transfer wide receiver Jamari Thrash is visiting Louisville today. He's number 14 on the athletics list of the best overall current players in the transfer portal. And the reason why this is notable, I mean, the numbers are the numbers. that They're great. He led the Sun Belt this past year with uh, 1,122 receiving yards and seven touchdowns on 61 receptions. First team all Sun Belt. That's awesome. The one that stands out to me, though, 14 catches of 30 yards or more. That's the third most in the FBS. Uh, he had Charlotte early in the year in, in a game against them where he put up 213 yards on 10 catches. He had three consecutive 100-yard games to end the season. That screams explosive play, explosive play, explosive play. He's another guy. You add him to the fold, all of a sudden, if the guys in front of him aren't showing that explosiveness, you can plug him in there, and he's seems like a guy who can make those types of plays for you. Yeah, and, and just looking at his, his measurables, like we Louisville has a lot of – wide receivers now and, and Brahm is bringing in a lot of wide receivers who are more so of like the 5'9", five, 5'10", five, kind of mold. Looking at just purely his size, 6'0", 180, he's not as tall as Tyler Hudson who was I believe 6'2", 200, but he's more so emulates a possession type wide receiver instead of like one who has just sheer burners, but then it, it seems like he has burners enough. I'll, I'll admit I have not watched like any tape on him at all. I'm sure I'll do that at some point this week and especially if he if he commits. But I mean, like you said, the numbers are the numbers. You, 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 yeah. You can't like talk yourself out of saying, "Oh, eleven hundred yards isn't good." Like, no, that's fantastic. I don't care what level of football you're playing at. It, it seems like Jeff Brom. I mean, he knows what his bread and butter is. Like the the man is he's a a guy who has relied on the passing game mm-hmm. successfully. So at, at every stop, you know, he was whether he's, we're talking offensive coordinator, we're talking head coach. He likes the traditional passing game. It's and I do like how offended he gets when you when you bring up traditional passing game and you know maybe people saying reluctance to be a dual threat because he's like I was a dual threat guy people forget like I was super athletic I used my legs a lot when I played in college I used my legs a lot at every single level I would love to have a dual threat quarterback and I think that time Mm -hmm. is coming with Pierce Clarkson waiting in the wings and you know who knows what they do on the recruiting trail who they target but for now with it seeming like Jack Plummer is going to be the guy you're probably going to have a an offense that looks more like the old school Bobby Petrino Jeff Brom when he was the OC type style you've got to find burners. You've got to find guys who can make those big plays, and, and that starts at wide receiver. Louisville, when it's been at its best, I, it's been awesome to have Lamar Jackson. It's been awesome to have Teddy Bridgewater. It's been awesome to have any quarterback you can name. They've always had go-to guys. They've always had big play receivers. Jalen Smith, in a lot of those Lamar Jackson highlights, I think people are like, what happened to that guy? He looks fantastic. Yeah. He was a great college wide receiver. James Quick, as much crap as we give him for a few a handful of big plays, he was, was a good College wide receiver. He was, yeah. And a a big play threat. We haven't had that guy consistently the last, basically since Tutu left. Brom sees that. He recognizes that. He's going out and he's trying. It's almost like I'm trying to get as many guys as possible and just hoping that a couple of these hit. I'm going to buy lottery tickets in bulk. It gives me better chances. (laughs) If all of them strike out, then all of them strike out. But here's hoping we get a couple of winners in here. And it's going to galvanize the passing game because – this is what I do. This is what it, I, how it, I'm it, going to throw out. It's almost like he's looked at the wide receiver position and be like, okay, I'm. I know I'm going to eventually. It's going to take a, a couple of years, maybe two, three years, to re like get the quote unquote Satterfield guys out and get the Brom guys in. But it almost looks like he looked at wide receiver position, the wide receiver position, and was like, no, I'm going to do this right, right now. now. <laughs> if, and you can do that now. Yeah. In, in this day and age, you can do this with with transfer portal guys. I do. Th- I mean. There's a lot of, even if you're talking about the the Satterfield guys, there's good young talent at that position. We saw a decent amount of Chris Bell towards the end of the season. I think he's a guy that you can get excited about. But 
the guys who are returning, the biggest production guys who are returning, are all about to be on their way out. So why not load up with young guys? That, that right. again, if you, if let's say, God forbid, the season doesn't start the way that we want it to, and you kind of find yourself in a year two Charlie Strong situation where he's like, we got a lot of talented young guys. They may not be better than the seniors we have on the roster right now, but they're pretty damn close. And we can, if we throw them out into the fire right now. We may get similar results, but down the line, it's going to benefit us more. And that was what Strong did in year two. And you saw the second half of the season, how much that started to, how much they started to reap the benefits of that. And then certainly in, in years three and four, you saw that that was the, the right philosophy. I can see Brom doing something similar next year, especially when you take into account how highly touted some of these recruits are that are coming mm-hmm. in. I, I can see him being like, you know, we could be, if it's a difference between eight and four and seven and five, playing younger guys versus playing older guys. I'm gonna go with seven and five just because it gives us a better chance to be nine and three, ten and two a year from now or two years from now. Like I think this is what's in the best interest of the program. So he's kind of loading up with the young guys. Yeah, I mean, why why would you pass up on the opportunity to kind of invigorate uh, the talent, the program with fresh young talent or guys you think can be more sort of suited to your scheme? I liked speaking of the younger guys. You know, we're, we're gonna hear from Jamari Johnson tomorrow at the. Uh, All-American Bowl, he's going to announce his his commitment. Well, I say his commitment. He's committed to Louisville right now. It feels weird to say these types of things. He's going to announce if he's committing to – he's flipping to Oregon or reaffirming his commitment to Louisville. It's, it's like the, the Stan Quan Clark thing where he's like, I'm committed, uh, also considering Louisville and, uh, the, and, and Florida. And, and no, I'm like, well, th- no, you're committed to Louisville. You're th- not considering No, Louisville. I think what he said was, I'm 100% committed to Louisville, but also exploring – like. <laughs> I can't Miami. remember what his two schools were. I think it was like Auburn and Miami. I'm like, that's the most recruiting quote I've ever seen. Imagine getting away with that in a, in a relationship. It's just it's not going to work. <laughs> but that's 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 kid speak these days. It's recruit speak. But uh, we're, we're going to hear Jamari Johnson, I guess, because he's not signing during the All-American Bowl. Or is he signing during the All-American Bowl? Is he announcing? So what it could be is that, because I know Brom kind of insinuated during his early signing presser, um, that there could be guys that they that would sign during the period, but wouldn't want to make it public yet. Right. And as soon as he said that, my ears perked up. And I'm like, that sounds like Jamar Johnson. Sure. So it's, I'm not saying this has happened, but it's entirely possible that Johnson has already signed, but it's only going to be quote unquote public when he announces it. Yeah, I, I just I wasn't sure what how he had been phrasing it. I wasn't sure if he was like, I'm making my official commitment or I'm actually signing at the All American Bowl. Regardless, it sounds like the the buzz is good for Louisville. Yes. And you've seen him this week, all the reports, all the videos that are out there, he's hanging out with Pierce Clarkson a lot. They've been connecting on these seven on seven drills. Um that sounds good. It also sounds like just from reading Steve Wolfong's stuff and a couple of others, that Pierce Clarkson has acquitted himself well this week during the practices for that game. But you've got that going on on Saturday, which, look, he's a prototypical Jeff Brom tight end. He, he fits the mold of, of what Brom was able to do effectively at Purdue. I liked his quotes from, I think it was the story on uh, 24-7 Sports. Excuse me. <clears throat> Where? I need the cough button. I need the cough button. He was asked about the new coaching staff and Jeff Brom in particular. I didn't have to do it again. <clears throat> did you uh, did you bring the almonds? With no, you? no almonds today. <laughs> no, no nuts today. Uh, Jamari Johnson was asked about J- Jeff Brown and the new coaching staff, and this was his exact quote. He said, "Those are my guys. I went down there for a visit. They called me a few times. They made a house visit. We've been talking a lot about the the, the, the tight end position and how it's used in Brom's offense." He said, "Oh, it's beautiful." When I went down there for a visit, he showed me tape and everything that they did at Purdue, the numbers and the stats. It was beautiful. All sounds good. Uh, that, that all, I, I think, indicates good things for Jamari Johnson. And 
the fourth big story that we have going on now when it comes to, I mean, Jeff probably's off to a hot start. Could, Pretty good, yeah. This weekend could be even better for him. Is the name that's out there in the minds of every UofL fan, which is Miami uh, high school defensive lineman TJ Capers, the number five overall player in the class of 2024 who's announcing his college decision on Saturday. Yeah, not number five in his position, not number five in the state, number five overall. I feel like you always have to clarify that. You know, when, when you're talking about a, a football commit who – potentially could be coming to Louisville. We're like the number five player, you're like in the state of Kentucky, like in the, you know, <laughs> at his position, that's damn good. No, number five, overall player, number one linebacker in America, TJ Capers. A lot of people in the recruiting world are saying the trend is good for Louisville. A lot of people are saying that he's keeps talking about how much he likes the way, what the linebackers do in this system. We'll find out on Saturday. And we also found out today that uh, Dylan Stevenson, top 100 prospect from the class of 2024, again, top 100 overall prospect, four-star kid, defensive lineman, who's a teammate of TJ Capers, has trimmed his list of schools to 10, and Louisville uh, makes that list. So not quite as exciting as when you're saying you're committing, but Louisville's in a group of 10 that also includes Auburn, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Penn State, and Tennessee. Not bad. Yeah, I mean, I, I meant to bring this up on Wednesday, but we just never got to this topic. But I know I would never actually see this, like, actually come to pass because considering how basketball crazy this state and this city is. But given, like, the trends over the last seven or so years with the basketball program and how much juice and potential there is with football and heading into year one of the Jeff Brom era, and granted, we don't know how that's going to go. We We would like to think it's going to be – you know, a, a pretty solid success in year one, but there have been a couple times where like I'm writing something or researching something as like, hey, oh yeah, TJ Capers, number five overall. And then I'll like write like, oh yeah, Louisville just got their ass kicked by such and such state. Yeah. I There have been a t- couple times where I'm thinking to myself, am, am I watching in real time Louisville transition from a basketball school to a football school? Now, again, I don't think that would actually happen. I'm not saying it won't happen. It would take a while. It would take a while. More than just a couple of years. I, there's a an old saying that you know basketball schools are just football schools waiting to win big at football. I think that's what a lot of people in the South say. Like, yeah, you're a basketball school because you ain't winning in football. If you ever had sustained success in football, you would become a football school. Yes. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. Football is, like, I don't, I'm not breaking news here, football's the cash cow that drives college athletics. Around here, though, I mean, we've had, we've had flashes where the football program has outshone the basketball program. I mean, the Orange Bowl year in 2006, where we're potentially a win over Rutgers away from playing for the national title, that previous March, Louisville had gone to the NIT. The mm-hmm. the, the football program at that point in time was stronger. Yeah, you would have to program. have like concurrent seasons where that happens. And I, I, I would don't would like to think that Louisville would eventually rebound at some point, but yeah. we've been saying that for a few years now. It would take like a decade straight. I think of football being. The bigger and look, Louisville basketball is never going to go away. Louisville right. basketball is not going. It can be a shell of its former self. We've seen that with other power programs historically. But I mean, look at Indiana. Indiana has been, by and large, a shell of its former self in the last two decades. For big games at Assembly Hall, the fans have still shown out. They've still been great. And when they have had flashes where they've been back to national relevance, mm-hmm. the fan base has been fully bought in. They're still focused on that. I think that's always going to be the way it is Louisville just because you have generations and generations that have been doing this now. But if Jeff Brom were to make Louisville a team that's in the playoff like four out of five years or something. Breaking news, Louisville's going to be the next year's version of TCU. Yeah, <laughs> let's say that that happens. Let's, let's say that Louisville makes the playoff next year and, you know, 
wins the national title or loses the national in the national title game, and Kenny Payne is still doing what he's doing with basketball right now, which is not winning at a high level, then you would see people start to flip a little bit. And I think it could be sustained if you get it. But it is, I mean, I will say right now, for the the sake of all of our mental health collectively, mm-hmm. thank God for Jeff Brom. Because oh, absolutely. It, even if you had, let, let's say that the class had stayed intact in the same way that it did under Brom if Satterfield had stayed. We, we, we still lost DeAndre Moore. We still lost Ruben Owens. But we signed a top 25 class. We're doing kind of well in the transfer portal. And it, there's still, I think, seven or eight scholarships uh, open, too. So there's going to be plenty of more. is what Keith was saying. Well, I guess eight now with, with Coleman coming in. I think that's what he was saying yesterday. I've got a running list of it. it Regardless. Is, it's eight. Eight, yeah. He, the, there's a decent amount with, uh, like, with, with Brom doing what he's doing in the transfer portal. But if this were Satterfield, I think a lot of people would still be like, yeah, it's it's good, but then they wouldn't have the same theme of thank God for football, thank God for Brom. I mean, the U of L people cut my voice. I cannot. I'm so sorry. <laughs> the U of L people have said I think that season ticket sales have increased in like by like a million dollars since Jeff got announced as the head coach. Like there is, and, and whether or not it's misplaced enthusiasm, who we won't know until the, the games get going. Right. But people are thrilled about Cardinal football right now, both because they've got Brom back in town and because of what's happening off the field. Like, this is a an exciting time to be a Louisville football fan, and it comes at the perfect time for Cardinal athletics because men's basketball has never been a wor- in, a, in a worse overall place or given us less to be excited about. Kenny, you got to get some players, man. Like, like we got to get some guards. This spring, I know you can't do much right now, but this spring we're going to need you to go get some exciting transfer. Just give us, even if they're not that great, Get some guys that have some good highlight reels that we can get excited about and tell ourselves are, are going to make things better next year. We, it's going to have to happen quickly. I mean, Sky Clark did just leave Illinois today. So. We will. Speaking of, we will talk about that after the break because the text line has already brought up that question. Sky Clark available. Is Louisville interested? Also, some other college basketball thoughts. Matt McGavick here with us in studio for the Friday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. It continues next here on the Big X. first came out i was like i would bet hard money that nobody has ever accused taylor swift of staying out too late like i, I, I don't i think it's just totally made up for the song i think it's totally made up for effect i was like you've never taylor swift making something up for you effect. stay out too late no it's, it's never been said and also nobody cares it, it's fine but i enjoy the song this is very untrevor i guarantee trevor didn't I don't think he even knows what that song is. I don't, I don't think he knows who Taylor Swift is in this day and he age. He suggested it. I don't believe it. I, 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 I'm going by, and, and you know, I'm not a big Taylor Swift fan. Sure, we, that strikes me as odd, Gary. You're not a Swifty? Not a Swifty? No. Oh, she's the bomb. She, <laughs> <laughs> there it is. You still sound younger than Trevor somehow, which is which is impressive. You still sound younger than TK. And I'm old enough to be his father. You are, but he's, he's older than you are at heart. He, he's, he's 81 in his heart. He's a mixture of 81 and 13. He's wow. nowhere near his actual age in, in any respect. 
But that's who he is. Why we love him. He likes 80, 80s movies, you say? 80s movies. He basically likes anything that came out when he was like five years old. And he likes a lot of music from the 80s too, right? Eight, that's all he likes, pretty okay. much. He if doesn't it, care for like the 90s and today? Very early 90s. By the way, I like how radio stations still say that. The best of the 80s said today. I'm like, the today is like three decades long at this point. How long can we keep this up? <laughs> the, the 80s, 90s, and today. I'm like, well, that's it. You're casting a wide net at this point. The best of the odd years, the 10s and the 20s. It, I think that's why they don't transition. It's hard to say. Nobody knows yeah. still what to call. You know, People don't really know the aughts. They don't use it as liberally as they did 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s. All I know is that I felt old when they played Green Day at the, at the Rose Bowl and they called it Classic Rock. Oh, yeah. It think- makes me feel real old. <laughs> <laughs> and if you still yeah. said, you know, the best hits from the 20s, I would still be thinking, like, you know, the Charleston. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Songs that were played because Prohibition was happening. Like, like that's the – that I, I my brain has not rewired itself to think – Normal twenties over roaring twenties. Hello, my baby. Hello, Hello my darling. Hello, Hello, my darling. Hello, my darling. That's that's what I would think about. I'm like, oh, this is <laughs> something from the the future hit the jazz singer that's being being written. Is what's going to be out there? Is that there's thing? only there's only so many notes, and <laughs> and how they keep rearranging them, I have no idea. They did their best. It's that's real talent. That's right all there. I think about. It's why the you know the radio stations back then weren't playing. The 80s, 90s, 20s. They were just, they were doing the best they could. It was just the 20s. It's all 40 years of favorites. It's all they, it's all they had. Uh, 502-414-1450 is the Thornton Sox line. We'll take some thoughts here in just a second. But before the break, we did make note of the fact that kind of a, a big college basketball story today. Sky Clark, former Kentucky recruit, uh, ended up at, at Illinois with Brad Underwood, was pursued heavily by Louisville once it became apparent that he was not going to be at Kentucky is transferring in the middle of the season. And it's an Illinois season that has gone kind of off the rails in recent weeks. Started off really strong. They were, I want to say they were as high as ranked as 11. They've been, that sounds about right. Yeah, they've, they've been just downright bad recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have not won back-to-back games since late November. Most recently, they lost by 13 to November. Uh, to Northwestern, I mean. <laughs> they they kind of lost in November, too. Brad Underwood is looking like a madman on the sidelines. And Sky Clark has announced that he's... Nope, no longer going to be a part of this. He, he's out. Yeah, their last back-to-back wins were against Syracuse and Lindenwood. Well, Syracuse is tough. Let's. Yeah, they that, 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 the 2-3 zone. They man. won that game by like 40, didn't they? Um, yes, they did. <laughs> I was going to say, I vaguely remember. Um, yeah. Sky Clark, a name that's going – any player that has indirect or direct ties to Louisville at this point is going to get the eyeball emoji from Louisville fans. Like They want to know what's going on here. I would welcome Sky Clark at this point. I don't think that he's maybe the type of college player that we thought he was going to be coming out of high school. I know it's still early on. We have a limited mm-hmm. sample size to make that evaluation. I'm curious if this is going to be another one of those situations where it's like, Kenny can take him if he wants to, but does he want to? We found ourselves in that spot a few times now. Payne passed on Dior Johnson, which looks like probably was the right move. He's gotten in some yeah. legal trouble up there at Pitt. Passed on Imani Bates, who's putting up gaudy numbers for a terrible Eastern Michigan team. Passed on some other guys, which I think maybe we shouldn't have passed on. But mm-hmm. this one, I'd be curious to see how it plays out. This, I mean, theoretically, I guess you 
you, you can't get him eligible for this season, but he would, I think, have the chance to be eligible right away for next year, even though he played this semester if he got a waiver. I believe so. I'm, I'm sure there's you can get a waiver for something because the NCAA likes to pass out waivers like it's nothing nowadays. But, I mean, yeah, they he, stopped caring. Yeah, really. Like but they, they, he definitely couldn't play this year since the semester's already started. Has it, it already started? It has. Okay. If Sky Clark were to – is he somebody that gets you excited? The name being out there. I mean, as a true freshman, putting up seven points, three and a half rebounds. I mean, the shooting numbers aren't that great at 41%, but I mean, like, I... I, He's a guard. I I, I hate that I'm about to make this comparison. I'd take him over Fabio. I'd take him over Hersey Miller. I think that that's fair. He's not... I'm not trying to throw those two under the bus, but I mean, it's the truth. It is. And I I don't think that that's a... Look, Hersey's a... He's a walk-on, technically. Although there's still a lack of clarity there. Kenny Payne sometimes says he's on scholarship. He's on he's on scholarship. I know that was the original plan that he says he's not. And then the one time that Payne said it definitively, he's like he's like he's like, first of all, Hurst is a scholarship player. And then he was like, All of our walk ons we consider scholarship players. I'm like, Well, what oh, what, what is it? But he was not a scholarship player at Xavier when he made the move from Tennessee State. He was mm-hmm. a reserve at Tennessee State who didn't see much time. And Fabio was I think Still could be a good college player, could be a, a solid addition, but he's not a. He didn't have a ranking. He, did, he didn't have a, right. a top 150 ranking. He's not the type of player that we envision Kenny Payne. I mean, it, it 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 was academic issues that forced him to originally reclassify to 2023. Right. And it, it took what two, three weeks for those kind of issues to get ironed out for him to actually be able to re reclassify to 2022 sure. and actually be able to commit and enroll to Louisville. So with that being the case, if you have a chance to take a kid who is a former five star player who the numbers that you just read are not overly impressive. They're not even mildly impressive from Illinois. But he has the potential to be a meaningful, minute, capable college basketball player. At this point, you take him. I think you've got to take him. You I mean, need guards. Yeah. I mean, I think a backport, uh, backcourt of Sky Clark and, and LL, should he maybe entertain coming back, which there's still fuzzy gray area details on that. But, I mean... A backcourt of Sky Clark and L. Ellis, I could mean, be solid. could be solid, yeah. And Sky Clark's actually a true point guard. <laughs> I think that you also you have to take into account you don't have backcourt help coming right now in the 2023 class. Mm-hmm. You know, you were hoping to get DJ Wagner, AJ Johnson, or somebody of their ilk, and that did not happen. You've got two kids coming in, and Curtis Williams and Caleb Glenn, who both I think can be good college players, but who are, I mean, Glenn is kind of a, a, a tweener. He's six foot five, six six, and mm-hmm. he's six six, I believe. He's he's never going to be, I think, a a really elite knockdown outside shooter. He's going to probably play more of the three role for you. Curtis Williams actually is a really good shooter, but he's six eight, I think, um, and he's going to be more of the the three stretch four. You still don't have backcourt help coming in right now. You can land guys in the transfer portal, but are they going to be significantly better than Sky Clark? I mean, you hope so, but potentially not. You, do you take him? I mean, even if yeah. he's, you, you've got to take him if, if he's out there and he's like, hey, KP, we got a connection. Love you. Let me come play for the cards. Yeah, take, take what you could get at this point. And there's going to be more. Uh, I mean, can't even call this a, a portal defection. He just straight up left the team, didn't he? Was that That's the what version? it sounds like. That's all I've seen. I mean, he's, let's call it a, a, a portal defection for the sake of argument. There, there's going to be more guard portal defections as the weeks go on especially once the regular season ends and conference tournaments start undergoing and whatnot so but i mean as of right now sky clark's a a good prospective option for louisville next next season i don't know why they wouldn't get on the horn and at least 
restart those conversations. I mean, because there's obviously a role to significant playing time. A road to significant playing time. So. I would hope that he already is. Like I would hope, and I know that tampering has become a, a big thing with NIL, but let's be real, tampering has been a big thing for a long time. And I'll, mm-hmm. th- I'll throw ourselves under the bus here. In about this time in 2015, I think a lot of people knew that Trey Lewis was going to come to Louisville. This, this was It was not something that was not well known amongst people like, like Rick Pitino would straight up say like I think we got a good shot at getting this Eastern Michigan kid and I'm like well he's, he's got two months left to play at his mm-hmm. current school I don't know how you know that but that's fine he played really very well against us in December and that's it's kind of what happens especially in those cases where a power conference team gets lit up by a kid from Eastern Michigan or from Kent State or something like that and the coach says you know he's he's a junior he's got maybe one more year left his team's not going anywhere maybe he'd like to play in the ACC next year if you're Kenny Payne, I'm not saying you have to tamper. I'm saying you have to keep an ear out for who maybe doesn't want to play one more year in the Northeast Conference. Who maybe doesn't want to play one more year in the West Coast Conference. Who wants to come and play on a bigger stage for their their final year or two of college basketball and make sure that you're you have that contact information available for when March 2nd rolls up and their season ends and you can be one of the first people in contact with them. Like that's, you got to start making a list right now. Right. I mean, plus if he's officially left the team, that's not tampering. It's not tampering. We can talk to Sky Clark however many times we want to, I think. The the rules are still hard to to keep track of. But Sky Clark, definitely a a name to keep an eye on. A, A quick update to the big story from yesterday, which was Chris Beard being let go at Texas. I had... I don't think it's ever going to happen. There's a part of me that just, because I can't take any joy out of my actual team right now in the, in the current season, I do love watching the varying reactions from Kentucky fans to these reports that are out there mm-hmm. about John Calipari. Could he be a good fit at Texas? Is he done? Because this is the, you know, for some fans, you're in the, the find out portion of the bleep around equation where it's like yep i hate cal he's got to get out of here i hate cal he's got to get out of here and then it's like texas may take him well (laughs) and some fans are like good go right and it's just it's a it's fully indicative of where kentucky is right now which is i think and there's still things can things change pretty quickly during college basketball seasons and we still got two full months left before we get to the ncaa tournament but right now, this is the most dissatisfied that I think UK fans have been with Calipari since he arrived in 2009. Mm-hmm. And they've had worse seasons. They've had worse teams. They've had, you know, last year they were you know, they lost to St. Peter's. That was a low moment for the program. But I think there was still hope that, especially if you got Sheway back, which you knew was a possibility. And, you know, he's the first national uh, player of the year to return to school since Tyler Hansborough back in, in, in 09. And you brought back Severe Wheeler. And you brought back, you know, Whoever, you, 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 Jacob Toppin, you, you brought in another highly touted recruiting class. Kaysen Wallace is going to be a, a superstar in the NBA, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. Ken Palm had them number two preseason, and there was good reason. And for it to have gone as, I don't even want to say poorly, but as average as it's been on top of the 9-16 and 16 season during the COVID year, on top of losing to St. Peter's as, a, as two seeds last year, all of a sudden... I think the fan base is like, this dude just doesn't have it. We have enough evidence right. He's now. He's lost his fastball. We have enough evidence now to know that this is not a a, a blip. This is a trend. And, it's, oh, and because of that, they're not reacting to this Chris Beard leaving, Cal potentially coming in story the way that they were when you know, Cal was floating the NBA rumors every offseason from now like, like for until, until eternity. 
up until he got the the lifetime contract. It's a little bit split right now. Like there's some people who are yeah. like, well, hold on, like, you know, we've, he's still our best option, and there are other people who are like. Nate Oates can win better here. Eric Musselman <laughs> can win better here. Like all, yeah. it's the same names that you've always heard of, and it's just it, it's another sign that the fan base has never been this displeased with Cal. And I look if he goes on a huge run and they're a two seed again in the NCAA tournament, and they actually make a deep run, that all changes because you've got the number one recruiting class in America waiting in the wings. But if he flames out in the NCAA tournament again, which this team has shown. It's fully possible. Mm-hmm. Like there will be people who say, "I don't care about the recruiting class." There will be people who take the Scott Satterfield approach, where it doesn't matter if we're bringing in five star kids; he can't do anything with them. Let's go ahead and move on. It's just odd times in Lexington for yeah. sure. And then, and then you have to wonder what his actual mindset to all of the outside noises. Now, of, of course, coaches are never going to outwardly say like it's affecting them and whatnot. But like with all the lofty expectations that come with being the head coach at Kentucky, and the underwhelming dividends that Cal has produced over the last three seasons. I mean, and then the outside noise is growing from the fan base with each passing season where that amounts, amounts, amounts. And now you have like this, like you said, a trend that shows that this might not be, it, this isn't Cal from the early 2010s. What's going through his mind? Is he potentially actually thinking about leaving? And I bring that up because Travis Branham for 24 seven sports actually wrote he, his own hot board about Texas and he included Cal Perry and of course, when talking about Cal Perry entertaining options, like other options, it's always like, oh, he's got that lifetime contract. He's got a presumed lofty buyout. And he wrote about something that I thought was interesting, which it was actually news to me. Granted, I'm not an expert on John Cal Perry's contract, but this is the Nor first. Should you be. No, and but this is the first time I'd ever heard anything like this. And he wrote, by this point, we have all heard John Cal Perry's name tossed around as a quote unlikely in quote option because of his lifetime contract at Kentucky and assumed lofty buyout. However, there is no mention of a buyout anywhere in Cal Perry's contract which leaves the door open for outside opportunities to lure the Hall of Fame coach out of Lexington. Mm. Cal Perry's contract states that if the university terminates his deal, then the university must pay a lofty guarantee. However, if Cal Perry voluntarily leaves, his contract states that he must give the university notice, but there is no mention of a buyout or any, quote, liquidated damages that he or a bidding employer must pay. Pay. What a contract. I know. <laughs> Good lord. I've never heard anything about this. I just assume his buyout was in like the eight figures. Props to Cal. That's a that's a fantastic negotiation there. And he caps it off with In other words, if Cal Perry wanted out of Kentucky, he could leave without he or his future employer paying a cent to get him out of his current contract, making him a more realist more realistic option than initially expected. And I think that's the other thing, is your it's not just everybody's talking about and we just did it here. The angle of the fan base having never been so dissatisfied with Cal. I mean, you talk to, uh, I've said this before on the show, you talk to people who are close to Cal, who cover the team, who, who you know, kind of Cal Perry's go-to guys, and they'll all tell you, like, I don't think Cal Perry's ever been this unhappy with the fan base. Like, he's, it, it is a two-way street there. I think that the the way that some people reacted to, you know, him getting all the players signed up to vote, the stuff with the social justice stuff, like mm-hmm. all that was going, when it was going on across the country, I think that really rubbed him the wrong way. I think he sort of thought, you know, it, this isn't a political thing. We're just trying to do the right thing for yeah. what, what the players want. We're trying to, to abide by their wishes. And I think he thought he'd built up more goodwill with the fan base, that it was going to extend beyond just basketball. And it didn't in, in that instance. I think he got upset with that. It's, it reminds me of when you know, some of these coaches, look, 
I'm not breaking news. They've got pretty big egos. They they think yeah. that they can do no wrong. Rick Pitino was surprised when he got booed at Rupp Arena when he came back as the head coach at Louisville. Was surprised mm-hmm. that it was. He's like, I thought maybe there'd be a little bit of, and that's when he really developed that hatred for Kentucky. Like John Calipari, I think thought, hey, I, sure, I haven't been to a, a Final Four since 2015, but I can still do whatever I want. I can say what I want politically, and the fans are going to support me. And the, some of the fans were like, no, not not at all. Like you can get out of here with that. And I. I do think it's, I'm not going to say likely, but it's more likely now than it, it was, really than it ever has been at any point since 09, that he could say, you guys are this unhappy? Go find somebody who can do better than me. You can't. I'm taking, I'm taking myself to Austin. It's a great place for my city. My family's going to like it more than Lexington. And you can see what I can do with even more money behind me down there at Texas. Wouldn't this be something for Texas to start taking everything from Kentucky and not Louisville? <laughs> It'd be a welcome break. I would enjoy it. But I think that, like, is that likely? No. I mean, no. I, I, I no. Think it would take another early flame out where he was met with just even more vitriol than he got last year for that to happen. I, I think the more likely scenario, if, if it's Cal leaving Kentucky, is that next year goes poorly. Because everybody yeah. wants to see what that number one recruiting ranked recruiting class can, can, be, can do. I think it invokes memories of the classes that he had in, in 2010, 2011, 2012, when they were, you know, the, the swaggy Cal era. They're going to Final Fours just about every year. Even when they're not that good, they're making deep runs in the NCAA tournament. Mm-hmm. You know, Aaron Harrison's hitting crazy shots. Like, keep calm, the Twins are coming. All that stuff. And fans, I think I think Cal also kind of wants to see, can I still have it when I'm getting players of that caliber again? Because he it hasn't been happening. Like, they've been getting top three recruiting classes, but they haven't gotten the guy – and you can debate whether or not DJ Wagner is the guy, but he's been the player who, for the the bulk of his high school career, has been number one in his class. Can the results on the floor get back to looking the way that they did from 2010 to 2015 if the recruiting classes are back at that level? And I think the fans want to see that. Cal wants to see that. So I think that's if this were happening in the middle of of next year, mm-hmm. and the team was nine and five or whatever the record is now then I think it would be more legitimate to say, hey, Cal may just, just say, to hell with this. I'm, I'm out of here after this year. But I think it's still highly unlikely. I, I do, too. It, it would, Like you said, it would take a lot to go wrong in, in, in terms of like the on-court product and for, like for a complete collapse to go on. And even still, he would have to like really like think long and hard about that. I would love if Cal left for like a Tubby Smith scenario where he leaves for like a Minnesota-type program. <laughs> we're just like seriously like we could see you leaving for texas we thought it was a step down but you're going to washington state what what, what do you do it that would be the funniest thing for me He's cal like, perry to georgetown confirmed i just want to go anyway <laughs> I just want, georgetown would be better than that that, that would be fun uh, i tell you what we've neglected the text line 502-414-1450 load up your thoughts there and we'll spend the the next segment the first part of the next segment reading some text keep it locked right here it's the mike rutherford show continues next here on 1450 and 96 one the big x the well, are you done, done me and you bet I felt it. I tried to beat you, but you're so hot that I melted. I fell right through the cracks. Now I'm trying to get back before the cool done run out. I 
I'll be giving it my best. This and nothing's gonna stop me. But divine intervention. I reckon All right, welcome in. Second segment here, second hour, I should say, of the Friday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show. I can't hear that song without thinking of two things. Mm-hmm. My kids, now John has gotten into it. Virginia was into it when he, she was about his age. There's a, like a whole YouTube channel of Sesame Street songs where you know, singers come on Sesame Street and they sing some sort of slightly altered variation of a hit song that becomes about like... So like their version of Kids Bop? Exactly. Like, like <laughs> Feist did a, a, a one, two, three, four, and it became like a counting song. Like oh, yeah. And, and Jason Mraz does this song. So I think about that. It's, it's the exact same song that he does, and I can't think. It's him and Elmo just singing together. But the other thing is, one of my best friends... His wife is Jason Mraz's first cousin. Hmm. Like they, her, I think it's her her father, his sister is Jason Mraz's mom. So when they got married, which was, I want to say like over 10 years ago now, it was like probably 2012, 2013. Mraz was invited to the wedding, obviously. Didn't didn't right. show up. He's, he's too big of a deal. And his wedding present to them was a framed autographed picture of himself. <laughs> Which, wow! I was like, "Come on, man!" First of all, the morass thing had the, the morass thing had kind of passed at that point in time. He was not he was not the same deal that he was in in 2006. But also, even if you were, even if it's even if you're Brad Pitt at that point in time, even if you're you know one of the Backstreet Boys at, at their height in 1999, just you know, something else. Not a signed picture. How vain do you have to be? To give that as a wedding gift to somebody. Ooh, have you ever worked with someone that you go to either either to their office or their cubicle and they have pictures of themselves all over the place? I have. Yeah, I have too. <laughs> I have. And Some serious narcissism it's right a, there. It's a weird thing. Like you see, you kind of do a double take and they catch you looking and I'm like, yeah, is that is that you? Is that your headshot that's framed? I, it's, it's, it's an odd thing. But this was, and I remember we were always like, is it? Is it displayed in your house? And he's like, yeah. he's like, he's like, he's like it's kind of a half joke. We have it up on our like, you know, one of our mantles. I don't know if they still do. They lived in Ohio at the time, and now they live here in Louisville. But it was always a. I can't hear Jason Mraz. I can't see Jason Mraz without thinking this man gave an autographed picture of himself to a family member as a. <laughs> it's one thing if like it's like, hey man, I'm your biggest fan ever. Would you want to come to my wedding? Like, no, nah, like, I can't make it. But here's a signed picture of myself as a gift. Did this it is include his first an, cousin? Did it include a nice frame? I don't. I don't know. I think it just said like for Jason and Kristen, and then like his autograph on it. And it'd be one thing if it was a picture of Jason Mraz and the family it's members. Just yeah. him. It's like they he treated his family like a a, a basic fan at that point, which was <laughs> classic Mraz, I guess. I don't take the hat off, man. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton Sykes line. We spent the first hour talking about the big news on. I mean, pieces of news on the football front. Uh, a lot of guys visiting. Uh, this weekend, or a lot of players committing this weekend, potentially good news for Louisville. One player visiting and then one player who committed yesterday. And then second segment there, we talked about it, potential transfer possibility on the basketball front. Then we got somehow devolved in some John Calipari talk, which is okay because uh, Chris Beard's out. And could John Calipari be in? I don't think so. But. We haven't devolved a Kenny Payne job security talk yet. So We've that, avoided that's a, that's a plus. up to this point. We will have to talk about the Wake Forest game at some point, <laughs> but we have avoided it up until now. As I have not glanced at the text line yet, who knows what those texts will look like. Mm-hmm. There's a very solid chance that we will have to do that. So it's like that meme of the guy getting in the hazmat suit and enters a room that says comment section. Exactly. Like you, you, you never know what you're going to get. I guarantee there's a Kenny Payne question in here somewhere. That's fine. 502-414-1450. It's the Thornton Sex Line. Make sure you download that Refreshing Rewards app. It's going to save you money at the pump. 
Outside, inside, wherever you go, at one of the area's 76,615 Thornton's locations. There's that many of them for a reason. The Thornton's Refreshing Rewards program is going to save you money there. And now it can get you free sandwiches. If you become a new Refreshing Rewards member, you are treated to one free breakfast sandwich and a free drink of your choice. That deal's still going on. Download that bad boy today and then text us at 502-414-1450. Texter says. You said text us and I heard Texas. I know. Well, I do that. (laughs) You're you're not the only one. I hear it every time I say it, but I cannot slow myself down. And I always say Texas. And it sounds like Texas. but Horns down. Horns down. Texter says, is it safe to say Brom thinks our receiver room stunk? I'm not gonna go that far. I'm not. Yeah, I'm not gonna go that far either. But I'm just gonna just go back to what I mentioned earlier about how he sees this position group and and he identifies this one as the one that he wants to try and invigorate his own guys quicker than the others. I mean, it's that's his bread and butter. Like, this, yeah, this is Jeff Brom. He's going to. It's like Bobby Petrino going out. He would be doing the same thing. Get a quarterback, get some receivers, make sure that you can light it up through the air next season. Like that's what he wants to do. And Louisville did not light it up through the air last season. Like you can be, no. ex- you can think positively about Amari Huggins, Bruce, or D. Wiggins, or or Chris Bell, or some of the other guys coming back. But the fact of the matter is, they were not a terrific passing team last season. They were 99th in passing offense. That's not great. That's not not great at all. And so it would make sense that Brom would say, "Look, I'm going to go out and if I can get, I mean, he's targeting." a couple of the best transfers at the wide receiver position that are in the portal right now. He's gotten one already. He might get another one this weekend who's on campus right now. Like, if you can do that, yeah, absolutely. And plus, they're, you know, I mean, Coleman's got three full years of eligibility remaining. Yeah. He can be a big-time player for you, not just this season, but a couple of years from now when you hope to have an influx of talent that has become experienced. I mean, you know, he and Pierce Clarkson, that could be the comment. I think my, my one, I don't want to say, I don't even want to go far as far to say it's a complaint, but I, I do want to see like a few more offensive linemen get offered. Get offered. And I, I did see that uh, they offered a former UVA offensive lineman, mm-hmm. John Paul Flores, today, but he, him and like, there's one earlier in the week. But I guess my point is we've seen way more wide receivers get, get you know interest from Louisville than offensive linemen. Not to say that offensive line is going to be in a – piss poor shape next year but they are losing some starters you're gonna at the tackles you're gonna have to rely on guys like oh okay let me rephrase this offensive line is good but it needs to be a little bit better because heading into this past season i think we all can agree that the offensive line was a smidge underwhelming it was so good but when you when you've got an all-american a preseason all-american at guard and you've got all this returning talent. What were there four seniors at starters on the line, or something to that effect? At least three. At least three. There might have been four. I'd not have to check, double check that. But regardless, there's a lot of experience, a lot of talent, and it was a middle of the line slash top half ACC mm. line when it should have been top three, top two. Yeah. So like it was still good, but it could have been a lot better. And it's losing. Caleb Chandler. It's losing Luke uh, Luke Kandrew, who was going to start in his place. It's losing um, Trevor Reed. Trevor Reed is he? Um, it's losing Adonis Boone. Adonis Boone. Gotcha. I've, I've got these numbers. Here it is. They've losing Adonis Boone, Max Habana, which he wasn't going to see any time. They're losing Caleb Chandler, Luke Kandrew, and Trevor Reed. God, that's it's a lot. Yeah, four of those guys were still going to be like were, were going to be regular contributors. Now, some of these guys were left for graduation, but a couple of these guys were transfers. So there there is. A bit of a, a fair amount of talent leaving on the offensive line, so that's an area where I think Louisville needs to address hot and heavy for the rest of the, the 
the offseason. For sure. And, and I know the Flores kid was at Virginia last year who was not great offensively, but he was a all-Ivy League when he was at Dartmouth. Mm-hmm. So he's he's a guy that they feel like they've got some ability. And once again, the a theme for the show is me talking about how the ACC is so incestuous when it comes to coaches and recruits transferring. We've yep. got that news. Louisville's offering a Virginia offensive lineman. We also hear today, Brennan Armstrong, the Virginia quarterback, is probably on the move to NC State. I did not hear that, actually. That's the, that's the crystal ball now that's out there. Oh, wow. It sounds like he's going from there to NC State where he would replace Devin Leary, who not incestuous in terms of being an ACC guy, but incestuous in terms of being a guy on our schedule, is going to Kentucky next season. He's already, I don't know if you saw that, he's throwing the L's down at the basketball game yeah, against LSU. The other. I'm like, you don't have to do that. It's such a cheap way to generate favor. You know what it reminds me of, and this is a shout-out for, for TK, who's not here today. I'll make a wrestling reference. It's like when the, the heels go to a city and they're like, yeah, Louisville sucks. And it's like, oh, boo. It's, like, it's the cheapest, easiest yep. way to generate a reaction. That's like what he's doing with UK fans. The cheapest way to endear yourself to them is like you're on the big screen, throw the L's down. He's just he's doing the Will Levis thing. And I don't blame him, but yeah, I, come on, man. I've, I've he's never this for four years. You already, I, we know you. Yeah, I know. I've never been one to get bothered by L's down, but like, like that. come on now. You, you only just got there. Give me a creative way. Uh, Texture says, that song, uh, It's Always Sunny and Wrexham Slaps So Hard. It does. It does. I, I just got to that part in the show. Texture says, so is KP going after Sky Clark? Probably. To be, to be determined. I mean, we'll, we'll find out, I guess. Texture says, so I saw today where someone was giving Keith grief for supposedly being negative about Braum. I'm 83% <laughs> sure that it's Nolan Smith's burner account. <laughs> I did see that thread. <laughs> I didn't. Keith, I mean, Keith has legitimate concerns about the defense i think that he's yeah i think he he called this season he, you know he was so excited about the defense two years ago and it fell flat on its face that he wasn't he toned back the expectations for that but he would just keep saying it should be better at this because of this this and this yeah and it wound up being significantly better it wound up being i think a, a top 20 defense uh, when all said and done mm-hmm. and it was really good at the end of the year the new defense the ron english style and who's to say that it, it doesn't wind up being tweaked a little bit it's more sit back, let them come to you. They they don't stun as much. They don't do as much bullet stuff. And I think that Keith has some reservations because it's one thing when you're doing that and you're getting big-time results, but the defense of Purdue was not tremendous. I think they finished 54th in total defense this past season. So, I mean, he's look, we're all excited about Jeff coming here, but it's not like you know, it's like they went undefeated at Purdue every single season. Right. There's going to be things to nitpick. I mean, yeah. We saw when – when Chris Mack was everybody's obvious choice on basketball, I remember people got mad at me because I expressed some concerns about the defense that they had at Xavier the last the last four years. And don't get me wrong, like I like everybody else thought that Mack was going to do a, a good job here. I thought he was the the right hire, but like I remember re- writing the thing out and listening to the pros and the cons. And people were like, "You you Chris Mack hater." And all, before like the anti Kenny Payne stuff was out there, <laughs> I was the Chris Mack hater. Like this is. It's fine to point out things that aren't perfect that you're a little bit concerned about yeah. and hope that they get better just because you're at a place that, it, for whatever reason, it gets better at. I think one reason to think that the defense could get better at Louisville versus at Purdue is the talent that you have at your disposal is probably going to be in a little bit of a higher caliber. Now, I'm not saying Purdue doesn't have dudes because they've had they've had George guys like George Karloftis. They had some really good guys this season. But, like... From a totality standpoint, I think you can make the argument that Louisville probably has a higher talent ceiling than than Purdue on defense. Yeah, and like, who's to say that this this four two five scheme can 
can't get operated at a higher caliber at Louisville. Sure, are there going to be you know drawbacks to it? Sure, I'm not a huge fan of the fact that like the linebackers, which is is going to be like a relative strength of Louisville, considering the guys that are coming back and the way that's shaped up there. But considering some of the defensive the defensive linemen are going to be the ones generating the most production when it comes to tackles and sacks for loss. But a lot of the defensive linemen that are currently on the roster are a lot of guys who are like guys like potential. There's potential for them to be great, but it remains to be seen. There's only a handful of guys on this current roster on the defensive line that you can say, yeah, we can expect this guy to do well. Guys like uh, Stephen Heron, guys like Ashton Gelati. Mm-hmm. You think that Jermaine Lemley is going to be better once he gets to be fully healthy. You think. We don't know. Yeah, yeah we don't know. I mean, you you would hope that Adonai Green is going to be a super impactful true freshman. We don't know yet that yet. You would hope that guys like. Big Tuan Brown, Big Tuan Brown, Ryan Craig, R.J. Norton, Taylor Brown, you know, guys like that, you would hope that they'll get better. But the defensive line, for the most part, is full of guys who have yet to be seen results and potential. It's kind of like what we said last year, and we got the results after a little bit of a slow start. It didn't seem like it at first, but I think you can say – We've improved a, a number of areas. The person, I mean, the defensive line should be good again next year. The defensive it should line was, be, yeah. was great last year, and you're bringing back the bulk of that production. The linebackers, you feel like you've addressed some of those needs, and you do return a couple of guys at that spot. And the secondary, I mean, that's where Brom wasted no time in bringing yeah. the guys. Miles Lusher should help. The Neil kid from Baylor should help. Like he went out and got some dudes because he knew he was losing. Keytrol Clark, and you're getting MJ Griffin back, which is a, a nice help. He was really good in the second half of last season, but. How's it going to work with this new system? Like, that's just, you, you never know for sure. Uh, Texter says, Mike, <laughs> pick one the UFL scandals never happening or Kanye not becoming a Nazi sympathizer. Choose carefully. Could not be an easier choice. For me. <laughs> the UFL scandals right. never happening. Yeah, Kanye has no bearing on my life. You kidding care. me? I mean, I enjoyed Kanye's music immensely when I was in college, I was a big fan, but. In a world where the U of L, the first U of L scandal never happened, I'm assuming this is the PAL stuff. I mean, Rick Pitino's still rolling on here. Maybe we have another national title. Maybe we got a couple of other, other Final Fours. We're not. Imagine the hurt that could have been removed from our lives if the fall of 2015 went differently, if the fall of 2015 never happened. It'd been great. Like, we would have gotten caught up in the FBI stuff, and then, like Kansas, Arizona, and everybody else, we would have just been waiting. We wouldn't have had. Yeah, we wouldn't have already been labeled a scandal you. We wouldn't have mm-hmm. gotten painted as the face of that scandal because there were some other big fish there too. And then eventually we would have found out the ERP did nothing. And we'd be great. We'd be yeah, cold. Can, can you imagine if Louisville was the one that leads the charge on just giving their fingers to the NCAA? And then Patino would have gotten exonerated. Like yeah. he, it would have been a huge win for Louisville, but because we had the 2015 stuff uh, already in our back pocket, it was a little bit different. So, yeah, I mean, could not be an easier choice for me. I'll love, you know, college dropout forever, but... It's the scandal. Kanye can, I was about to say Kanye can Nazi it up. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you shouldn't say that. I don't. I don't. I don't really believe that. But if he wants to, it's better than U of L scandal. That's what I'm choosing. I'm sorry. I enjoy Cardinal Athletics. <laughs> Texture says uh, we're winning this game on Saturday because of Danny Manning, right? I honestly forgot about that element. The whole I, I kind of did too, honestly. The whole Danny Manning going back to Wake Forest type thing. I mean, we, well, it did wonders in the Maryland game. I was about to say the exact same thing. <laughs> Didn't exactly help us against Maryland earlier this year, who I think could have beaten us by 75 points. And that loss, by the way, not looking nearly as forgivable now as it did at the time because Maryland has gotten its ass handed to them 
by a, a number of teams in recent weeks. Oof, yeah, I'm just looking at their schedule now. I did not know that. Oh, they're not losing. They're losing. I mean, UCLA was up by 40 at one point on them. I think they won by about 30. And Michigan killed them. Rutgers beat them down pretty good. Like, they have been they've been bad since, uh, since early December rolled around. Um, and they were not bad against us. No. So the no Danny Manning did. advantage there was not present, but maybe Saturday. Don't tell that to Dan, though. He, he, I'm going to see him tonight. <laughs> I'm sure we'll get into it. It's going to be a lively discussion. So, I mean, are you surprised we haven't heard we, we haven't heard a whole lot from Danny Manning this season? I, I don't know if it's just his demeanor. I don't know if this – he's in a unique situation because he's used – even last year, like he started off the year as an assistant. Mm-hmm. He became a head coach. He still has, I'm sure, a head coach's mentality. And, I mean, as average as he was at Wake Forest, and I'm using average liberally – he still has never been through a season like this either. Like right. they kind of they fought at Maryland last year after he took over the job. They weren't great, but they won I think six or seven Big Ten games, and you know they 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 battled down the stretch. They were okay. He's never gone through anything like this either, and I wonder how he is handling all this because you don't he's he's not that active on the bench. He's not that that chatty during his media availabilities. Mm-hmm. It's just. It's kind of odd. You sort of forget that he's over there sometimes. Yeah, and, and heading into the season, he was someone that I thought would be able to provide to Kenny Payne like the experience of having being not only a former head coach, but being a former head coach in the ACC. Like He could be someone to go to like, hey, I would do this in X situation, or I would do this in X situation, blah, 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 and so on and so forth. And now that Louisville has gone through the worst season in our lifetime, I, uh, you have to wonder if, like, if there's anything – Danny can even say to Kenny Payne, like, I, I would do this in this situation. Because even Danny, with all the ups and downs he had at Wake Forest, wasn't going through what Kenny Payne is going through right now. No, they, they were never this bad. And, and that was a a large talking point from, I mean, even before Kenny Payne got hired. It, it was before it was, you know, when you've now that you've hired this guy. It was if you hire this guy, you need to get somebody on his staff who has experience as a head coach. The, the example that got tossed out there all the time was you know, Juwan Howard went out and got Phil Martelli. And, there wasn't a Phil Martelli out there. I mean, people were saying John John Beeline. Beeline yeah. John Beeline's not going to – things maybe would have been different had we gotten John Beeline on staff, but we didn't. But you still brought in a guy who could, you know, not challenge you, but, like, like let you know as a former head coach, this is how I handle the day-to-day stuff. This is, you know, what I did in this situation, you know, dealing with the media. Wake Forest has not as large of a fan base as Louisville, but it's a proud ACC fan base, how to handle that. Maryland certainly has a, a proud fan base as well how I dealt with all that. Like it seemed like a good hire just for that reason. And now you're, you know, nobody knows what's going on behind closed doors, but it's just, it's, it's odd seeing him over there kind of not doing much. Honestly, it was a little bit surprising that it took until the previous pregame concert, uh, pregame press conference, excuse me, that we were finally able to talk to a coach that wasn't Kenny. It was the first time we talked to an assistant coach all season when we talked to Nolan Smith. That was I, of course, this is not exactly a normal season, so no. maybe that had to do with, do a little bit, but it was a little bit surprising. The biggest impact Manning's made this year is you know when he filled in for Kenny Payne on the, the post Christmas radio show, and he revealed that they hadn't practiced in five days. Like that was that was the the big thing that happened was him saying, you know, we're gonna get back to practice tomorrow, and this was on the twenty seventh, and people were like doing the math in their minds, like, well, the NC State game was the twenty second. What are we? And that was I think the the biggest impact that we've we've had from Danny Manning so far. Texture says, um, <laughs> yeah, I don't want to 
stuff about Jamari Johnson. I, I, anytime you pause when reading the text on that, just imagine the most vile or inappropriate it's not, stuff. <laughs> it, it's Jamari Johnson. It's somebody sending a screenshot of him already being enrolled at U of L, and I, I know that is the rumor that he's already signed and he's a bit, you know, we're, we let the kid have his moment. Yeah. We feel good about Jamari Johnson's announcement on Saturday. Yeah. When, when you hear all these people saying like, yeah, I feel good or I feel confident. Like there's, there's a reason they're just kind of using veiled language there. <laughs> the buzz is positive surrounding Jamari Johnson coming to Louisville. That's but, good. Look, if it's in the database, it's in the palpable database. buzz. You can, you can find it yourself. He, he has apparently already enrolled at UofL and that would be like, if, should it happen tomorrow? That's a big time. I was going to say land, but it's a big-time hold for UofL to keep yeah. a kid who's been committed who's a four-star tight end. Texas says the semester started, but is it too late to enroll in classes if you're Sky Clark? I think so. I think I think you have to be enrolled in classes before the start. Well, no, there's a, there's a couple days grace period. Yeah, you had like a week. Is it a week? I thought it was only a few days. I know this because I would at the end of my college career, I would just not go to class the first week. Because like, <laughs> and I learned like my my last semester of college, I just didn't go to school the, the first week after winter break because I was like, I know I don't have to. I could I got some classes changed. I enrolled in some classes late, and I'm like, this is you know, they can't penalize for me for this. I, I wasn't here. I wasn't enrolled yet. So at least at Bellarmine, my last year, it was you, you had a full week before they closed the books gotcha. on, on enrollees. I don't know about getting committed. I mean, you do see players, though, there have been times in recent years where you've seen a kid leave a team in, like, February, and he ends up being, mm -hmm. he's not playing, but he's on the bench in another school, or he commits to another school. Like, I have no idea how that would work, but. Even I was a little bit shocked to see a guy like Isaiah Miranda just go straight onto the roster for NC State. Yeah, just this zero hesitation. I'm like, well, did we know that was an option? Did we? Did we? <laughs> I didn't know. But then again, he's not a guard, so. He's not a guard. He's not. <laughs> uh, Texter says, I remember when Cal's name kept getting floated for NBA jobs and saying to myself, what NBA team would pay the University of Kentucky money to have to hire their basketball coach? It makes sense now knowing that he could leave UK holding the bag at any time. It does make a little bit more sense. It, it, look, it's a hell of a contract. If you yeah, can, I, I, I get that they wanted to lock him down and the whole lifetime contract is not a real thing. No. there are. There's always outs. There's terms. It, 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 he is... There's an end date. There's a financial disclosure. There's all that stuff. It's a normal contract. It's just more lengthy and more gaudy than most. So you kind of knew that there was something interesting there. I, I did not know that he just could leave whenever. And yeah, that, no that was news to me. It's a hell of a deal. Speaking of buyouts, that the Chris Beard, every time somebody from UT puts out more details or more releases, like it becomes more like they have no intention of paying him any money. Yeah, no. I, someone from the Austin Statesman said that like on the day that he was fired, said that he was fired for cause. That's what, yeah, because I think his buyout is like thirty five million or something oh absurd, and they're not paying him a cent. No, they're not no. going to. And they're also saying, if you want to try to sue us for unlawful termination. Good luck, man. Like, like we're putting it out there. like the, the strongly worded part where it was like he's still showing that he has no indication or remorse for what he's done and the magnitude of what he's done. It sounds like this was again speculation here because we don't have the details. It certainly sounds like this was maybe not an isolated incident or mm -hmm. that the way that he handled himself in the in the the days and weeks immediately following this incident were not of a professional manner, according to Texas. Like they're. They're all but daring his attorney, who can't spell coaching, to come after them. Like They're like, we're not paying you anything, and if I were you, keep quiet for a year, and maybe you'll get another job somewhere else because this stuff isn't going to get out. But right. if you want to come for us and ruin your career completely, then 
by all means, we we're, we are loaded. Uh, we're ready to go. If you come with the king, you best not miss. Exactly. That's kind of what they're saying. Yeah, we, 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 look, we paid you a lot of money. We got more money than you. Texter says, is Marcellus Johnson visiting this weekend? He's the kid from Eastern Michigan? I believe so. He's an offensive lineman. And yeah, I, I know that. I've got no idea if he's visiting this weekend or not. I wish I had insight there, but I, if he is, I, I, I don't. I can't give that to you. I just did a quick Google, and he apparently just visited Auburn, but I have, I'm not sure if he's visited Louisville yet. I know we offered him. I remember that from yeah, like last week. I want to say, but I've got I've zero idea if he's in town this weekend. Text us the, the Taylor Swift slander from Mr. McGavick will not stand. <laughs> Well, She's very dude. popular, Matt. Yeah, well, very popular. So I hear. The one thing that I will say for Taylor Swift, who I don't, I, I don't hate. She's she's got catchy songs. I don't. I'm not, there are a handful of songs that I like, but I'm, it's not someone I'm going to go like pay hundred dollars to see. Oh hell no, I'm not going to. But she did kind of take down Ticketmaster, <laughs> which is a accomplishment in and of itself. Like to to be able to take because the Ticketmaster, anybody who's ever bought anything off Ticketmaster knows knows it sucks. You're like, hey man, like. Pretty good seats. Got them for seventy five bucks. This is feeling good. And then you check out, and you're like one hundred and eighty nine bucks. What? It's the 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 excess fees are outrageous. Mm-hmm. It's completely misleading. And you know they, they cater to the the secondary market for sure. It's it's always sketchy when they announce you know pre sale stuff. And the Taylor Swift debacle when it came to ticket sales kind of took down Ticketmaster a little bit. It's one of the funnier happenings of twenty twenty. The fact that Taylor Swift of all people was the one that took down Ticketmaster. It's great. It was wonderful. I'm for it. Texas, when are you getting Brian on? Brian Brom will never come on the show. <laughs> He's the enemy. He's a villain. We've been battling since high school. I'll have Ashley on. I love Ashley. His wife is 50 times cooler than Brian. I'll have uh, I'll have his kids on. I'm never having Brian on the show. Brady can come on all the time. Yeah, have Brady be a regular guest. Brady would be wonderful. I think Brady and uh, and Inter Patrick may room together next year at UFL, which hmm. would be awesome. Um, but Brian, no, he's not. He's not invited. He's, not, he's, he's never coming on. He'll bring Oscar on first before you bring him. I would love to have Oscar. I'll have Donna on. <laughs> Donna and Oscar before. I'll have every single Brahm on. I'll have Greg on five times before I have Brian on. It's never happening. <laughs> Texter says um, they call it cheap heat. I don't even know what we're talking about when that came in. Cheap heat. That doesn't even ring a bell. But he also says right before that, new to the station, is this the right text number? Yes. Aha. Uh-huh. Nailed it. And also, you've texted in before. I can see your history. You're not new to the station. You've texted in several times this week. We're good. You got the number right. Maybe we haven't gotten to them. Sometimes I do feel bad. Like, I will have so many texts that I won't get to some. And people will be like, oh, did you block me? Or, did, you know, am I texting the wrong place? I'm like, no. Sometimes we just we can't get to every text on every show. We try, but we can't. Texture says, Coach 30 has Clemson football video out. Worth a view at commercial break. I did see that, and I'm getting ready to watch that as soon as we go to break. We will I can't have, we'll have to make that happen. Actually, speaking of breaks, we, we can make that happen right now. Before we do, though, reminding you, if you have heating problems this winter, call our friends over at AirServe. doesn't matter what hour or what day it is. AirServe is available for you 24-7. If your heat goes out at 2 a.m., got small kids, got some pets, they can't make it through the night without the heat coming back on, give AirServe a call at 502-264-9662. They'll have someone available to take your call and a technician available to come out to your home, fix your problem, get that heat back on, make sure you're sleeping safely and comfortably through the night. You can also visit them online at airserve.com slash Louisville, A-I-R-E-S-E-R-V.com slash Louisville for a full rundown of everything they can do for you. Or again, you can call them directly at 502-264-9662. We'll take a break. We'll come back. 
more of your texts, and we'll talk about this Coach 30 video coming up next on the Mike Rutherford Show here on 1450 The Big X. Now we're moving. Happy Friday to you. Hopefully your weekend is already off and running. Got out of work a little bit early. Driving home. Spending some time with us. We appreciate that you did. If you're still stuck at work, that's okay. It's coming soon. We're going to be excited. First full weekend of 2023. Hopefully people are going to live it up. Speaking of that weekend, tomorrow the card's taking on Wake Forest at 3 o'clock inside the KFCM Center. Louisville's going to be celebrating the 40th anniversary of the 1983 Final Four team. Kind of the the pinnacle of the, the Doctors of Dunk era. I feel like that was the team that you thought about. The high-flying. I mean, everybody's dads talked to him about it. I don't know if you've ever heard this, Matt. I've, I've said this for a long time, and I know you, you have a U.K. background. That's fine. You, your family was on the wrong side for a long time. Well, no, my dad was on the wrong side. My mom was always on the right side. Well, we love your mom more. That's that's how the show <laughs> works. But for for people about our age, I know you're a little bit younger than I am, I think that everybody heard a story from their parent who's a UofL fan about, you know, Houston only lost to NC State in that national title game because Louisville wore them out the game before in the Final Four. Like that, everybody heard it. Like all of my friends growing up, they always heard it from their dads. And it's you go back and watch the game, and it's true. It was a high flying game. That team was phenomenal, and they're going to be honored this Saturday. It's a rough season to have this many big anniversaries. I will yeah, say that because that you, true. you've got this going on. They're going to honor the 2013 national championship team. I think for the Clemson game, which is is coming up. It's you'd like it to be, you know. A little more cheery or a little more of a successful season? You wish those years had ended in the number five as opposed to three right now because yeah. this, is, this is going to be tough. But exciting to see so many players come back this weekend. Hopefully it'll be a good turnout. And if nothing else, it'll be something to cheer for. It kind of reminds me of last year, the, the, the Notre Dame game where they retired Russ Smith's number. And the mm. biggest cheers of the game were for Russ or for Rick Pitino when he came across the big screen yep. when they put his video up. Uh, hopefully that's not the case this weekend, but if it is, then at least you've got something to cheer for. It'll be nice to see those doctors of dunk back in the house this weekend. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty is the Thornton sex line. Before we get back to your thoughts, let's talk briefly, hopefully briefly. Oh Lord! About this Wake Forest game, um, it's a Wake team that, at least in terms of statistical profile, reminds you a little bit of Syracuse as far as what they've accomplished so far this season how they stack up against Louisville. I know stylistically they're obviously very different, but it's a game that right. Ken Palm projects Louisville to lose by nine. I would guess the spread's probably going to be somewhere in that realm. It's a Wake team that comes in with a 10-5 and record. They do have a, a big-time win over Duke. They also beat Virginia Tech recently. And then most recently they lost to North Carolina in a competitive game by nine points. Uh, Steve Forbes, if you've listened to the show, you think you know what I think of him. I've been a... A big advocate of his since he was at East Tennessee State. I think he's a he's a really, really bright basketball mind. I think he'll do a good job there. They had a good season last year, narrowly missing the NCAA tournament. A little bit of a step down this season, but they've got 
they've got some guys. Tyree Appleby is one of the more impactful transfers in the entire country. They've got some guys back from last season that, that fans, I think, will remember. Davian Williamson is, is back. Um, it's what you expect to see from Wake. They've got good guards. They can, can score a little bit. They struggle defensively, kind of like Syracuse did. Again, it's I know the styles are different, but it feels on paper sort of like that Syracuse game where Louisville's got a shot to be in the mix here. They've got a shot, but they've also got to make sure that, that uh, Wake doesn't get a handful, uh, as many open shots as Syracuse did because, I mean, I think this Wake Forest team probably shoots better than uh, Syracuse did because just looking at the stacks, they, they shoot 36.3% from three, and Appleby alone is just a couple shots away from shooting 50% from three. And not only that, they've got a, I don't want to say more impactful post presence, but they've got a taller one considering they have not one but two seven-footers, one of them who starts and one of them who comes off the bench. So no matter who's going to be like in the game for, down in the paint for Louisville, they're going to have to just go to war against someone who's got several inches on them. And, I mean, they also have a, a 6'10 dude, the Andrew um, um, Carr. Thank you. Uh, who, who also plays meaningful minutes for them. So th- they're big. They, they don't have the talented big men that they've had in years past. Um, like the kid who transferred to UK who was from France. Like he, he was a, a solid player. Certainly John Collins was a, a terrific player for them when they went to the NCAA tournament under Danny Manning. But the guards are good. And they take a bunch of threes. Like they, they t- actually take more threes than Syracuse does. They shoot a better percentage from three. And like you mentioned, Appleby has been unreal. I mean – the biggest disappointment for me in the final minutes against Syracuse, outside of the two unforced turnovers by by LLs, well, one was forced, the other was not forced, mm-hmm. was we did a really bad job at locating the one guy that you didn't want taking the big shots for Syracuse. Right. We, we let Joe Girard, you know, go behind a screen, take a dribble, drill a three. We we, we fouled him when we should have been fouling anybody else. We let him fill it up against us when. You, you, the game plan should have been make somebody else besides this kid beat you. And we've done that a lot of times where we have just not let their ace player do something besides score the ball. And if you're ever going to double team someone or have a more more successful implementation of the game plan against Syracuse that you should have executed, it needs to happen in this one considering Appleby is a much better shooter. Yeah, my point is this is a game where Tyree Appleby has the potential to go off for like 30 on you. Yeah, If you don't do a better job at locating him on the floor at all times and not just letting him do. Like, we haven't made opposing offense. Even when the defense has been better, we haven't made opposing offenses uncomfortable ever. And if you're going to run the style that Kenny Payne is, which is we're not going to full-court press, we're not going to really get out and, and take a whole bunch of chances, we're going to try to play tough nails, half-court defense, and then make sure we get the defensive rebound, okay, but you've got to be better at defending the high pick-and-roll You've got to be better at, at sprinting down and covering your, the big man if you're going to do the hard hedge. You've got to certainly be better at rebounding than we have been this season, mm-hmm. and you've got to locate the scores when you overhelp. And we haven't really done a good job at any of those things. So Appleby, if you if you let him just do whatever he wants, not only is he going to light you up, but he's averaging almost six assists per game. He's really good at finding the open shooters around him. Like he's he's just a really good player. And the, and the issue is if he if Louisville does a good job of containing him. Wake Forest still has two more guys who are like really damn good shooters. Considering Cameron Hildreth, I mean he's a he's a he doesn't take very many shots, but when he does take take them, he does he does a decent job. But guys like uh, Demario Monsato and David Williamson, they're both shooting thirty eight percent from three or more. Like if, even if Tyree Tyree Appleby isn't doing well, what are you going to do about the other two guys who have almost as much of an ability to shoot the long ball than he does? And we should be 
familiar with Williamson, he played really well in both games against us last season. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, he he shot it really well. He was the I, I did I had this thing going the last two years where whenever I do a write up or I do the preview on the radio show. I'd be like, this is the one guy who's in a little bit of a slump, but he could get hot against it. And every single time every it happened. Time. So and who are you predicting this time? I'm not doing it. Because, oh. because well, I mean, Appleby's the, the guy. I mean, well, yeah. The same thing I said before the Syracuse game. Don't let Joe Girard beat you single-handedly. What, he scored 26, 28? Yeah, um, 28. Appleby is fully capable of scoring 26 or 28 against you if you let him get comfortable and do what he wants to do, which is sort of what we've been doing all season long. Appleby, just looking at the numbers now, I mean, he's only been held – he hasn't been held below eight points in a game all season long. He's had a ton of games where he scored 20 or more. He did drop 32 on Wisconsin in a game that they won at the Kohl Center, which is impressive in any year. Yeah, it's hard to do. He's he's the real deal. Um, his, his last two games, he's a combined 7 of 11 from three. Was 3 of 5 against Carolina, 4 of 6 uh, against Virginia Tech. He hasn't shot it as well inside the – I mean, he's a – Look, he's a he's a little guy. He's listed at six one. He's probably closer to six foot, maybe five eleven. Make him do his damage inside the paint. Don't let him become a, an outside shooter because he'll light you up. And he's got I mean, got the last three games, nine assists, seven assists, eight assists. He's he's good. And he will he will turn the ball over though. He's a little bit feast or famine like L. Ellis. The I was about to say he sounds a lot like L. Ellis. He is. I mean, they, they rely on him to do the types of things that we rely on L. Ellis to do. The problem is he's got more of a supporting cast than L does, and I think he's more consistent at, at scoring and producing high numbers of assists. And also, we don't try to force as many turnovers as as the teams that we've been playing uh, do. So don't sit back. I mean, get active. Get aggressive. Unless you're LLS. You don't want to get in foul trouble, which is a big part of the reason why I think we don't have is like he has taken more chances in recent games, and he's had you know, game three's had three or four steals. But also, like, we can't afford to have him get in foul trouble. He's got to walk a really fine line between being aggressive on defense and not picking up dumb fouls that get him on the bench six minutes into a game and leave us with really no options in the backcourt. And, and above all else, they just have to stop committing such such dumb turnovers. And I know that's an ad nauseum talking point at this point, but it seems that every game that passes, there's always some just crazy stupid unforced amount of unforced turnovers. I would like to have one game, and I, I don't know, I, I'm not going to go back and watch all two hours from every game we've played this season, but I'm not sure that, that we've had a game this season, we've played 15 of them, where we haven't had one of these two things happen. A guy just dribble the ball off their foot or, or knee, or a guy catch a ball while standing out of bounds. I, th- I, I The latter part is surprising. I I've never seen a, do, a team do that to this magnitude all the time, and, and I know the three point line expanded, and there's less room on the, uh, the on the baselines when you're standing there. But that was like two years ago. Like you've got to, you you can't be standing out of bounds. Like I really and truly, I'm I'm not just saying this for effect. I don't think we've had a single game this year where at least one of those two things has not happened at least once. And clean it up. It just, <laughs> Clean it up. On that subject, there's only one team in Division One basketball who has a higher non-steal turnover rate than Louisville. Take a wild guess. I know Hartford's like last in all the metrics, but I, it's not them. Southeastern Louisiana, McNeese State. Oh, me, I was a safe bet. Yeah, Louisville turn. Louisville has a non-steal turnover on 13.5 percent of their possessions, which is a lot. But McNeese State does it on 14.2 percent. That's is, the stat that I, w- I was looking at when. I've made this point. Like Ken Palm is, when you look at profiles, green is good, red is bad. 
and super green and super red are the <laughs> obvious extreme ends of the spectrum. But and there's a lot of there's a couple that are super red. Our assist rate and turnover rate. Look, one time when I looked, they were like they're purple. They're like they're like dark <laughs> purple. And I was like, this we've broken Ken Palm. He's using colors that I didn't even know existed on this site before. Uh, it's it's shocking where we are in some of these stats. But what well, I keep saying that it's not even that shocking anymore. We've just yeah watching the encore product. Like no no wonder they're so bad at X X Y and Z. But Mad's getting better. Effort, the effort is getting better, it's but getting better. We said the same thing against West Kentucky, and what they do the next time out against Florida A and M, not give great effort. Exactly. So if if they can continue to give good effort and energy, just just look like they want to be there. Yeah. I, I if think they can do that against Wake Forest and establish a pattern, because one game is just a one off, and that's that's an outlier than anything. But if they can do it for two games in a row. That's starting to build a trend, and I think you can get a lot more. You can have a lot more hope that there will be something go right in the second half of the season if they are able to string together two games where, for the vast majority of the game, they are operating with increased effort and execution. Maybe not execution because that's part still a little bit fuzzy, but they look like they want to be there. The offense doesn't look like it's just one guy dribbling and four dudes standing around. The defense. Doesn't look like a matador with the bull, the red flag for the bull, and have the OLA defense. I mean, if they are just active, mm-hmm. if they can string together two games where they are active, which saying that for a I Louisville know. basketball, I know, I, know, I, know. I know, just saying that out loud, it just makes me like reflect on how bad things have gotten around here. But they can just, if they can just string together two games where they are active consistently on both ends of the floor, I think you can start having hope that wins they might be able to steal wins down the stretch i think it's even bigger than that like i i think this is a i hate to use the word critical stretch because we're two and 13 everybody knows what the season is at this point everybody is now looking towards the future like the question about louisville basketball in the middle of january early january is typically what seed are they going to be like can this be a national title good team or in recent years like what needs to happen for us to make the ncaa tournament none of those questions are relevant right now mm-hmm. we're all talking about bigger picture things is kenny Payne the guy can he be the guy can we be ncaa tournament good next season if the answer to any it of took those almost two hours for us to reach this discussion it did, it, it did, but, <laughs> and I, I knew i knew the wake forest thing was going to be the jumping off point you, you knew it was going to devolve there but if the answer to any of those questions is yes your best route towards getting there, the most positive sign that I think you have that you're going to get there right now is this team remaining cohesive, mm-hmm. playing hard, starting to get better as the season goes along, grasping the message that the staff is bringing. If this team, nobody's going to celebrate a seven or eight win season here. No. They're not going to. But if they are able to win like five, six conference games and you see the undeniable improvement from where they were in November and December to January and February and the effort level becomes consistent and they seem like they genuinely love this coaching staff and they're getting excited for games and all that stuff. I think that can be, it will be the most tangible piece of evidence yet that this can work under Kenny Payne. It certainly won't be the entire argument, but if it falls apart dramatically, if they just get, if if they hit a wall, which is understandable, that's certainly in play that they hit a wall in mid January, early February, where they just say, I'm, I'm sick of losing. Mm-hmm. This staff doesn't know what's going on. I don't believe in the message anymore. I can't wait to get out of here. I'm quitting. It becomes just the latest red flag. And I think we'll find out 
in the next couple of weeks whether or not that's going to happen. Because like you said, they played hard against Syracuse and they got their hearts ripped out. They played hard for stretches against NC State and Kentucky. I think both those games, that, as that is true, they that were. Is true. But it just wasn't consistent enough and no, it wasn't plentiful enough. But it, they were still, you, you could frame them as steps in the right direction, as depressing as that may be, considering they, you lost those two games by a combined 35 points. But if you play hard against Wake Forest, maybe you get a win. Even if you don't, if you show that effort, it's it could portend good things for later in the month when you play Boston College and you play Notre Dame. And we have a stretch coming up in late January, early February, where you play in two weeks, BC, a Notre Dame team that's not as good as we thought they were going to be. Georgia Tech and then Florida State again. Exactly. Like you can win like if you're if wins are coming. It's gonna come during that stretch. That's when they're going to come. And the fear becomes that they've already checked out at that point because they've gotten their asses handed to them by Clemson and UNC. Pitt, who suddenly looks good, and then this game Saturday against Wake Forest, maybe they don't show up because they're still thinking about Syracuse. Like This is when I think we're going to find out how much these players have truly bought into this coaching staff. And if the answer is they're still working, they're still they're still fighting, they're still clawing, then maybe that means we're going to be better than, than people think next year. If it doesn't, then all the red flags are out there. And I do think another part of the equation has to be Kenny Payne has to show some improvement as a coach, too. He does. Because, I mean, just looking at that last Syracuse game, how many of those uh, media timeouts did Louisville come out and first play, they did something good? Once? It didn't happen often. It, it hasn't happened It wasn't a lot. And what, it, that's, that's my point. I think not only do you have to have the players continue to operate with, you know, effort, enthusiasm, yada, 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 that whole talking point we just had, but you've got to, got to see some tangible evidence that Kenny Payne is starting to grow as a coach as well. Now, I'm not saying he has to turn into Brick Pitino or John Wooden by the end of the season, but you have to be able to look at Kenny Payne by the end of the season in early March, whenever it, when Louisville finally loses in the AC tournament, because we spoiler, it's going to happen. We'll win yeah. the whole thing. <laughs> Saturday night. But you have to be able to look at Kenny Payne and what he's able to do in those last few games and definitively say, okay, this Kenny Payne can outcoach Kenny Payne from against Beltman, from against Wright yes. State, from against yes. App State. You have to be able to say, like, this Kenny Payne can beat that one, for, for, for lack of a better way to phrase it. If if there's still any doubt about that hypothetical situation, like, what, what sort of hope can you have? Yeah, it, it, this is a... I don't want to say minor grab because it's not really a minor thing, but just the first thing that came to my mind when, when you're laying this out, I remember we talked on Wednesday's show about the final minute where we wasted some precious time when Jalen Withers has the, he looks like he has an open three, pump fake, gets a good look, just misses the jumper with I think 29 seconds to go, and we let Syracuse kind of dribble the ball, and I think it got down to like 19 before mm-hmm. we fouled. If you watch the sidelines, and my friends pointed this out, my, my friends, you think I'm critical. I think everybody's got, everybody has those friends who behind closed doors are like, man, they want, they want to fire this guy into the sun. Like they're, you know, they're the guys like pausing the game and slowing it down, posting clips to Twitter. That, or they're the guys who are like, I'm not watching this anymore. I'm not going to games anymore. Like I think we all have friends. As poorly as we're taking this, if you're listening to this, you're still you still care. You're still bought in. Yeah. You may be mad, but you probably know somebody who's even more mad. Who just you know nothing can be done. That's right. But Don't be so mad that Donovan Mitchell tweets at you. Don't please don't be. Don't, <laughs> don't, don't be that guy or Nolan Smith for that matter. Love you, Keith. Um, there's a play in that last minute, the play that I'm talking about. Jalen Withers misses the shot, mm-hmm. and I didn't notice this in live time. My two friends both pointed it out, and I've, I think I've since seen it floating around. If you watch Kenny Payne on the bench, he does the thing, and he does this a lot during games where he just he throws his arms up and kind of hangs his head. 
And he does that after the Jalen Withers thing and hangs his head and just like looks at the ground and starts walking towards the scorer's table. An experienced coach at that point in time isn't going to to balk. Like they're not going their mood isn't going to they're going to say trap, 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 or get the ball out of Gerard's hands or make him pass or or just say foul. He's not paying attention to the game at that point in time. You can't do that in, in the last it's still a one point game. You still very much have a chance to win, but mm-hmm. your players need instruction. They need to say Foul anybody but Gerard. You've still got time. Trap him. Get the ball out of his hands. Or whatever your philosophy. Or just foul. Because we I don't think that the players were looking at the clock until there was 10 seconds off. And they right. didn't like little stuff like that. Seemingly little stuff like that. You want to see that cleaned up from him as the season goes along. We knew it wasn't going to be perfect for a first first time head coach, regardless of what his background right. was. Like we and, and I think it has gotten it seems like it's gotten better. It seems it's it's still not great. And I go back to my point that I made a while ago saying that his starting point when it comes to overall coaching acumen is not as high as we anticipated it would be. It doesn't seem like it. No. But, no. but it, it does seem like it is starting to get better. It's still not a ton of improvement, but it is improvement nonetheless. You just need to see more of it. You do. And I, I mean, I, I don't want to sound like a hypocrite because this summer I was saying, you know, this is new to everybody. You got to expect that Kenny Payne's going to have some hiccups. You can't, you don't do anything for the first time flawlessly, right? Like no. you don't. If you're in any profession, if you're being promoted to another job where you are the man or you are the woman, you are you are the person in charge. There's going to be a thing or two that you look back at five years later and say, "Oh boy, like I I can't believe that I did that. I would never even consider doing that in this day and age." Like knowing what I know now, that that would be different. You have to expect that. But some of the things that we're seeing, I think... is like common basketball knowledge. We didn't... Like, you didn't think that you would have to say, like, hey, block out the free throw shooter on, on a free throw, you know. Or immediately foul when you need to. Get your hands up on defense. You know, this is how you close out high hands on a, on a open shooter in the perimeter. Like, this is how you block... Like, we just... And, and I've It's s- been a... You're right. The, the The learning curve has been more extreme than I think anybody thought it was going to be going to this. And I've, I've seen a lot of fans, whether they be on radio shows or on social media, say like, oh, Kenny Payne was handed a bunch of players who don't know how to do basic stuff. Like they were never taught basic stuff on the AAU circuit, so now they're ruined. And I just can't help but think like, well, whose bleeping job is it to teach them some of these things? Like just because like they didn't learn it at that point doesn't mean they can't learn it now, especially when you can see it play out in real time that like sometimes they have just – Lack of a better way to say it, colossal brain farts on the basketball court. Yeah, because I think you and I can both agree that this team's collective basketball IQ is not very good. So, like, again, at some point, like the coach has to step in and say, like, "Hey, don't do that." <laughs> it's a, it's an unwinnable argument for both sides at this point. Yeah, like, it, it just is. This is, and this is where every show winds up at one point. <laughs> in time. We will find if you let me take you all the way back to the much better time at least in the world, maybe not for Louisville Athletics, of 2007. The big, great debate in November of 2007 was, can Steve Cragthorpe actually coach, or is this a, a problem of culture from the, the, the former regime, right? It's not, it wasn't that the players didn't know football because they clearly had won at a high level before Cragthorpe got there, right. but it was the same type of argument. Players' fault versus coaches' fault. Past regime's fault. Who's to really blame for what's happening right now? Nobody likes this, but who's to blame? And as it turned out, it was primarily the head coach and his staff. He fired everybody that was underneath him as the years went on. It got progressively worse. Boom, he was gone. Like, that argument got settled down the line. We won't know who's who's right in this argument for 
at least another year, right? Mm-hmm. Is it maybe maybe even two, depending on who decides to stick around? And it might be to, to you know to Jeff Greer's point when he was on the show yesterday and what he wrote on his newsletter. It could be that both sides are a little bit right. Like, like you know, he's Greer's big thing was you got people out there saying, "Hey, we're seeing an improvement. This team's definitely getting better." And you got people out there saying, "It doesn't matter if they're getting better." It should never. St- it should still never be this bad. We should have never started at that point. And Greer's like, you know what? They're both right. Like the team's definitely playing better. The team also should have never been losing to Lenore Ryan by ten points in the preseason. They should have never started as far behind the eight ball as they did. Right. There's no reason. We're three forty six on uh, in the net rankings. Three forty six. I'll do some quick math there. That means there's seventeen teams worse than us in college basketball that have a worse NCAA tournament resume than we do. Surprise, that much? We are one spot behind in the net rankings. I don't know how this is possible. We are one spot behind. Arkansas Pine Bluff, who is an 0-11 team from the SWAC. Unreal. Damn. We are one spot ahead of Loyola, Maryland, who is a new team in the Patriot League. <laughs> it's like the there are no familiar names down there with you when you're at 346 in the net rankings. When that's the case, it's probably at least a little bit of everybody's fault. Yeah. We'll take a break. When we come back, more of you from the text line at 502-414-1450. We'll revisit some stuff on the football front uh, and then get your thoughts here on the Mike Rutherford Show, which continues next on 1450 The Big Guys. I know he does not care for Taylor Swift. I know he does not like the Black Eyed Peas. Really? I don't know if he's just doing like Pump Up Friday music or whatever he's doing, but it's... He's doing that because he's not here and he doesn't have to listen to (laughs) it. He's just trying to get it out of his system while he's he's not around. Uh, But it is Friday. Happy Friday to you. Hopefully your weekend's off and running. If it is, why not text us on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. Matt McGavick with me in studio here today. Follow him on Twitter at Matt underscore McGavick. Read all of his stuff at Louisville Report. It's under the fan side umbrella over there at the uh, Sports Illustrated Network. Fan Nation. Fan Nation. Is that, is that what, what's fan sided? Fan side is com- something completely. Different. I know it is, but I know and I don't know what it is. I think they're like their own independent entity. Maybe. No, it is. Oh, that's bad. I think. Sorry, Fan Nation. That's, <laughs> that's my bad. Uh, follow his work over there at Louisville Report. Wherever it is, it's it's terrific <laughs> stuff. He's always updating it. He's always got good stuff for you to read. Uh, Matt, uh, big. I mentioned the weekend plans. Big weekend plans for you. I know you're going to be out at the game tomorrow, but. Besides that, what do you get going on? Honestly, probably covering recruiting stuff. Honestly, between because there's the a, yeah, I know there's the Wake Forest game, there's the All American Bowl that's going on at the same time with which Louisville's got a couple uh, signees going on, and there's going to be two prospects that could be committing to Louisville mm. uh, during that time. So you know mm. it's going to be a busy Saturday. We're excited about all that. We'll get back into some of our football discussion. Uh, speaking of those those players, but did want to mention before we move on too much in the show. UVA women last night. They get right game, starting off a homestand on the right note, beating Georgia Tech sixty-three to fifty-five. It was on the ACC network. A little bit, a little bit dicey towards the end. A little bit dicey. I mean, not not maybe not as much of a lopsided victory as you thought for a team 
I mean, they, was, they were up by as much as 12 in the fourth. And then Georgia Tech, they kind of hung around a little bit. They got it to, I believe, it was as little as five, if I remember correctly. But, you know, Louisville eventually, you know, pulled away. But, you know, for a few minutes during the fourth, you know, sweating it out a little bit. But, you know, Haley Van Lith did her thing. It wasn't pretty in the first half. It was never pretty. It was just kind, yeah. of, a, kind of a grinded out ugly game against Georgia Tech team that was 0-3 in the ACC, now 0-4. After last night, I think they're still kind of waiting. You know what you're going to get from HBO on, on a nightly basis. You know that Olivia Cochran's going to be good inside. I think they're still kind of waiting to see who that second big-time offensive player is going to be. I, th- I think Jeff Waltz wants it to be Morgan Jones. I thought it was going to be Morgan Jones. She looked like she was going to be off to a good start. He has talked, I think, a number of times this season about trying to get her to jumpstart her offense on the defensive end, you know, mm-hmm. get a steal, get out in transition, make a shot there, let things open up for you on offense because you did some made a great play on defense. And she's still, I think, trying to grasp. It's a weird team so far because you feel like the parts are all there. They just haven't been put together properly. Like I still think this team has a chance to be really good once March rolls around, but we haven't seen them string together a run of games where they've looked like a team capable of making that type of run. You know you have a superstar. You just got to find the right piece around it. I mean, Mikasa's going to be fantastic on defense. Mm-hmm. Olivia's going to be good inside. It's just the you haven't had somebody step up. Like, And I hate to call her a you know supplementary player, but you thought that Emily Angster last year was going to be kind of that. You know, She's going to be good on both ends, but HBO's the star. And Angster became the star as the yeah. season went on. She was your best player. You need somebody who you know isn't going to – do what Emily did last year, but who can step up and who you say, hey, from one game to the next, she could give you 22. You, you don't know. If you focus all your attention on stopping Van Lith, this player can light you up, and that really hasn't happened just yet. I I guess in retrospect, we probably should have expected a little bit considering, I mean, the transfer portal is not a new thing, obviously, but it seemed like as it pertains to Jeff Walls and how he kind of runs his program, it's, it seemed that this offseason was had a lot more of an influx of transfers than what we are normally accustomed to. So I guess we, we probably should have seen that the the team chemistry is going to take a little bit longer to build. But I, it, it's, it was a little bit surprising that the team chemistry is going to, was going to take so long to build that it was going to knock a little out of the top 25 altogether. It's been surprising, especially when, I mean, you know, they have the the rough showing at the Battle for Atlantis, even though they beat the, the highest-ranked team that was in the field. In number and then three, they Texas. lose to the Jackrabbits. And then they come back, they lose to South Dakota State. They just haven't really gotten it all the way together yet, but it's still plenty of time. The Cards will be back in action this uh, this weekend, this Sunday. They'll take on Pitt. Second time they've already played Pitt this season. I, I don't know why the ACC does that weird thing, both on the men's and the women's mm-hmm. side, where they'll, you know, they'll have like two games in early January against the same team. I think in uh, 20 or 21, they played Pitt twice in like a, Six day span or something. It's like silly. That. It's silly, but they'll they'll play Pitt two o'clock Sunday. It's another game on the ACC network, and we mentioned the men's team is going to be honoring the the forty year anniversary of the nineteen eighty three Final Four squad. The women's team is going to be honoring the ten year anniversary of the twenty thirteen national runner up team. That was the team that famously beat Baylor in the Sweet Sixteen, then knocked off Tennessee in the Elite Eight, made it all the way to the national title game before falling short. The the, the Shoney Schimmel team. Um, not sure. I haven't heard who's going to be back from that team, but it should be a, a fun afternoon at the KFC. I'm a lot of legends back in town this weekend. Which I know. Be fun on both Just the wish there was better basketball to put on for them. You do. It's it's a. <laughs> they. I mean, and, and I say that mainly for men's basketball, but I'm thinking, women's yeah, women's yeah. is still pretty good. Both teams having issues with turnovers, though. Like that's both teams have to clean stuff up significantly. On the football side of things, a little bit of a, a rehash for people who maybe missed the beginning of the show. Exciting stuff's happening in football. Like, this is, I mean, I think the main concern when you lost Scott Satterfield to Cincinnati, if there was one, uh, 
was we're just starting to get get it going on the recruiting trail. We're getting the types of players that never were considering Louisville before this. Is this just going to go away because Satterfield and Pete Thomas and some of these other guys are making a move up the road to Cincinnati? And the answer so far has been no. Uh, you, you lost DeAndre Moore and you lost Ruben Owens from that class, but Jeff Jeff Brom was able to hold. And the only real reason you lost Ruben Owens is because of DRL Sims leaving. Exactly. Which like you know, he he was going to stay. It seemed like he was going to stay had they retained Sims, which I mean, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty. So maybe talk to Jeff like, hey, maybe keep him. But I mean, like, considering think, all the the transfer receivers they're bringing in and trying to make up make up for it on that front, I guess you can live with it. I think they were of the belief that it didn't matter who they kept, that he was going to go to Texas A&M. Yeah, so, and who knows fair. what the truth was. I think A&M, look, they, they offered him what they offered him. I mean, it's, 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 can't, it's hard to disagree with Texas oil money. And now you got Bobby Petrino coming in who's going to want to throw the ball a lot. So you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe come back in a year. We'll see. But you, you lost two of the most highly touted players from that class, but you still kept it together enough to make it the first, as it stands right now, top 25 class in the history of global football. And then you've gone out and you've done even more in the transfer portal than you've done in recent years. And there could be some big-time news coming in the days ahead. We found out yesterday Kevin Coleman, big-time wide receiver prospect out of Jackson State, who was a top 100 recruit last season, is committed to Louisville. He's going to come play 601. Committed at 601. We found that out yesterday and uh, would have liked to have talked about it on the show, but we got to talk about it today. Now you find out today that another of the top wide receivers in the transfer portal, Jamari Thrash, who the athletic lists as the 14th best overall player in the transfer portal, he's on campus. There's a lot of buzz that maybe he's you know going to be the next player to commit to UofL, and he's a huge playmaker threat. A guy who last season had... Uh, 30 catches, 14 catches, I should say, of 30 yards or more, which was the third most in all of the FBS. He was all sunbelt, led the team in both receiving yards and touchdowns. 1,122 receiving yards, seven touchdowns on 61 receptions. He's been a fantastic player at Georgia State for four seasons. He could become another guy that Jeff Brom could really use next season in the passing game. And then... I know we right. had that discussion on Wednesday, like uh, based on what we ha- what Wolfville has now, like who would be like the three starters? I, I think I went with Amari Huggins, Bruce, uh, Jaden, and uh, the Cincinnati transfer Jane Thompson, mm-hmm. and then Braden Smith. I mean, if if Thrash were to commit, he cracks at three. He's in there. He's I mean a guy with experience and a guy with playmaking, big time playmaking ability. He would be a huge addition for Brom and company. And then if you're looking at recruits now, Jamari Johnson. Four-star tight end who's been committed to UofL for a long time but did not sign on National Signing Day is going to, I guess, announce his official signing on uh, uh, with wherever he goes on Saturday at the All-American Bowl. Oregon put out, pulled out all the stops for him. They pulled out, uh, pulled out the red carpet for him when he visited. If you are able to keep him, which is where it seems like it's trending, that's a big-time land for you. That bolsters that recruiting class again, solidifies it as a top 25 class. And Espe- then, especially considering like the tight ends that you have on the roster right now. For sure. I mean, once Marshawn Ford has been the tight end room for the last what three, four years now. Not to not to completely discredit the guys behind them, but like we love Josh Lifson on the show. Don't you dare! <laughs> this is a pro Josh Lifson show. He loves us. We love him. But your point stands. I love Josh Lifson, but like he's not Marshawn Ford. <laughs> he's not. So retaining a guy like Jamari Johnson does wonders and and when you look at the overall class and you start thinking about okay who are some guys who can contribute year one the three guys for me that come to mind are Adonai Green Stan Quan Clark and Jamar Johnson those are the three who I think have the highest likelihood of seeing I don't want to say significant playing time 
but like the highest probability of playing the most out of these freshman newcomers. I hadn't like, like I'm not a big watch video of, of recruits until they're officially signed guy. I wish that was me. I know. <laughs> I, I know you. And look, the world needs people like you and Keith Witt. The, the 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 world needs psychos like you guys. But I had like, seen. Oh, a, there's a little a guy put Louisville in his top ten. Let me break down his huddle film. That's, that's exactly that's who you are. That's what you yeah. do. And it's it's there's somebody to be said for. It. I I can't do it. Um, but when Jamari Johnson, when it became you know, when the buzz popped up again this week, I'm like, let's see how good this guy really is. And you've seen video of him at the uh, the All American Bowl practices this week. He looks pretty damn good. Like he, he, he looks like a guy good. that can be the next NFL tight end to come out of Louisville. I know that that's you know, getting ahead of ourselves a little bit here, but he seems like the prototypical tight end that would thrive in an offense like the one Jeff Brom wants to run here. And now he's developing a rapport with with Pierce Clarkson this week, which has been very cool to see. So you've got that going on Saturday, and then I think the one that is the most staggering, the one that you kind of you still really struggle to wrap your brain around, is mm-hmm. T.J. Capers. The number five, let me say it again, overall player in the class of 2024, according to Rivals, announcing his college decision on Saturday. Uh, he's a big-time linebacker. He's got his shortlist right now. is five schools. It's Louisville, Georgia, Colorado, Miami, and USC. And it sounds like Louisville's in potentially good shape. Like this is, It's wild that we've reached a point, yes, that Louisville's in this mix, but then Colorado is also in the mix sure. for a top-five guy. Like it's, it's, it's the state of college football as it is, but you know I'm not going to complain about it. Keith and I were talking about this yesterday when he joined the show at the end, and I don't know if, if you would disagree or, or agree. A lot of Louisville fans are going to look at this and say, if, if he does commit to us tomorrow, and say, cool, talk to me on signing day. Yeah. It's still a big deal even if he does wind up getting lured away by another program. Just to, to have a top five overall player of this caliber who everybody knows, it says something for your brand that he's you – know, for him to say your name on video that gets circulated everywhere – would not be a small deal, regardless of what happens in the twelve months that yeah. ahead. And, and and I get it when fans say that because obviously we saw what Ruben Owens and DeAndre Moore opted to do. They opted to go up, go to Texas schools. Sure. But in the same breath, if you want to get involved in big boy recruiting, this is what is going to happen. You're going to have guys. I mean, what was that San Juan Clark quote, quote that we said earlier today? Yeah, I'm committed to Louisville. But I'm interested in these but other. I'm schools. also considering, yeah, like that. That's that's going to happen when you're getting in the mix for four stars, high four stars, and even five star players every once in a while. Like that's that is just the nature of the beast. And I just, I know I've I've gotten heat from people before, but saying this, but I think Louisville fans need to just embrace this if they want to consistently like sit at the big boy table when it comes to recruiting because it is going to happen. It happens to everybody. Yeah, like, I mean, you have guys flipping commitments from. You know, Michigan to Alabama. You, you have uh, yeah. Caden Proctor, a guy who was born in Iowa, was a longtime Iowa commit, flipped to Alabama during the signing period. Nobody's like, safe. No one's safe. No, it's just the way that it works. And if you want to improve your brand, you need players like this who are. You know, it's not just making. This is a step above making a short list. Like this would mm-hmm. be, this would be something. And if he does wind up signing, then hell yeah. Like the, the, he would be, and this should probably go without saying the highest rated recruit to ever commit to Louisville and he would be the highest rated recruit to ever sign with Louisville should that wind up happening. And uh, I think he's the third like third highest like prospect period regardless of sport. Good lord. Yeah, I mean that that would, that would be it, it would be something for sure. And oh by the way, he has a teammate named Dylan Stevenson who's a top 100 prospect, just you know, just top 100 overall player in the class of 2024 who trimmed his list of schools to 10 today and included Louisville. Uh, also has Auburn, Florida State, Georgia, Miami, Michigan, Michigan State, Nebraska, Penn State, and Tennessee. It's all positive right now. Yeah. 
Actually, going going back to what I just said, and it's not third highest. He would be the second. Should he play, he would be the second highest rated prospect between football and men's basketball to ever play at Louisville. And try and guess who number one is. Would it be Samardo? It would be Samardo. The only, I mean, in fairness, if those recruiting rankings extended back to the eighties, yeah, have, I mean, I should say this with the caveat: the modern recruiting exactly. era. Yeah, during the the the, the network era. Yeah, I knew Samardo because we we ran down that we've done it a couple of times where we've run down the list of the highest rated basketball players to ever sign with Louisville, and it's an embarrassing list, and not in a good way because mm-hmm. a lot most of these guys didn't really pan out. But because like the the two the two guys behind Samardo, Sebastian Telfair, yeah, Brian Bowen, yeah. Not great. I know Sam Williamson's way up there. And Sam Williamson's is right behind Brian Bowen. It's yeah. It's, and then there's Amir Johnson. At least Sam was <laughs> recently named honorable mention All American conferences <laughs> for the past week. He made the roll call. That is true. He's doing well at SMU. We love Sam. Um, but on the football side of things, all good right now. Thank God for Jeff Brom at least winning the off season because if we had to talk more Wake Forest today, I don't know what we would do. Thank God for football. And maybe you guys want to. 502-414-1450 is the Thornton's text line. Uh, before we take some text, we'd be remiss if we didn't at least mention the latest good update on the DeMar Hamlin front. Uh, he was, I think they said what, he was able to talk to players and coaches today via FaceTime, was able to say to them, love you boys. He's, he's been spending time with his family. It all sounds extremely positive right now which the, is the, the best possible outcome that we could have had this early in the process the most positive development that i saw was that he was quote neurologically intact because you you, yeah. you have these fears that when you're when there's no blood circulating that, that brain tissue is going to like die because it, it dies incredibly fast when, when there's no blood circulation so the fact that he's completely intact is a is nothing short of a miracle and again i, I think i said this yesterday it's just it's a testament to the people that were out there on the field first. Not just that they saved his life, but that they saved his life and kept his basically his life intact. Yeah, like he, he obviously you don't want to like even have this discussion like at now, but like there's he can realistically play football again probably. Yeah, which is the only other time that I saw that I remember seeing this injury. I think there's one other case in, in a football game, but the one that that I have seen talked about and that I remember, it, assuming this is what it, it, it was, that Contio Cordis. Contio Cordis, yeah. Chris Pronger in 1998, mm-hmm. who was a famous defensive man in NHL, took a slap shot right to the chest and started to skate off the ice and just collapsed. And there's there's video out there of it. He looks like Hamlin did dead. Like he, he his face is lifeless. He looks like he's out. This, that's what happened to him. And I think it was early in the season. Twelve weeks later, he played and he played the remainder of his career. Like he wound up being fine because he was saved immediately by the the first responders that were out there on the ice and. You hope that that winds up being. I mean, Hamlin's still. This is, he's young. This is his second yeah, season in the NFL. Twenty four was he? Yeah, super young. Like he's got a a lengthy career, hopefully, in front of him. And you, you hope that, obviously, you hope bare minimum, he survives, can live a normal life. But best case scenario is he's able to get up back out there and, and do the thing that he loves and, and keep playing more football. Although, man, I would have loved to be a tough s- mental hurdle. Clear. Yeah, I, know. I would have loved to see and hear his reaction to. to his charity getting five million in the span of a week. Exactly. Well, I think now it's like seven. Is it? It's, oh my god! It's way up there. Whatever it is is outrageous, but it's the best possible outcome so far. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty. We'll take some text here now. Uh, texter says, "I just can't stand when people attack Taylor Swift for only writing songs about her exes. <laughs> That's what basically every pop star and men's pop stars do. Let's be consistent. I'm on your side in this because Trevor has done this." Trevor gets mad about like lazy tropes and stuff like oh, and then he commits to lazy tropes and then he does like like Trevor he was furious when he read jokes about 
you know, Taco Bell having a cheap menu and all the stuff you can get at Taco Bell for. 20- I love I love Taco Bell, and I admit that he's like it's not as cheap as you think. It's not. And he like went and broke down the menu, and I was like, Trevor, if you got as <laughs> mad about anything else in the world as you got about this, like, I, I, but he was furious about that. Like, he couldn't stand it, and yet he'll be like, Oh, Taylor Swift gonna write another song about a guy that she broke up with. She's far from the only artist who has been become successful mm-hmm. writing heartbreak songs or writing love songs. I'm on the texture side in this. Having said that, <laughs> it becomes a little bit different. Like when you're writing, when she was first coming up and she was like quasi country, quasi pop, like mm-hmm. she's writing about real relationships that I'm sure really happened to her when she was in her teens and, and all that, like 13, 14. Like you've been famous for a long time now. Well, you, you can't do like the little old me. Like it's, these are not normal breakup stories when you when you write them anymore. They don't resonate no. with the average. Person these these are breakup stories that you, you read in like tabloids at this point. Exactly. It's just uh, I, 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 it's a little bit different now than it was. I'll say that. Texture says uh, another show today said that classes start on January 9th, twenty twenty three. The last day to add drop is January thirteenth, twenty twenty three. So yeah. Oh, so I, I theoretically, guess, theoretically, it's possible if we move fast enough. Sky Clark could, I guess, enroll. The cheap heat comment from... Get on the phone, Kenny. Make a play, Kenny. The cheap heat comment from earlier in the show was... I guess it's a wrestling reference when you're... If you do like the whole... Like I was saying. Oh, gotcha. It's cheap. It's cheap, bad, booing, all that stuff. You Mm. you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cheap heat. I I like that statement. Texas, can we get Roger Goodell on the phone so I can ask him why he had to overthink himself into screwing my Bengals? Please and thank you. I guess that's a reference to the Bengals-Bills games being canceled. Well, I... I saw something to the effect like that they were not going to be basing the playoff standings by win percentage. I saw some, somebody told me. I, I, I don't know the specifics on it, but I saw something to that extent. I'm not a Bengals fan, so I didn't get fully invested into it. One of my friends did text like our fantasy group about like the Bengals kind of got screwed here, and I'm, I don't know the details, but sorry, Bengals fans. Get the lines in the playoffs. That's all I care about. Texas, it's actually <laughs> can, too painful to consider where we'd be if Patino never left. I can't even think about those types of things. Well, too late. We need something to talk about. <laughs> that's, that's what this show's for. That's what we do. I'm sorry. Uh, Texter says, what's the guy look like who does the Big X promos? People are fascinated by the guy who does the, who's, does the Big X voice, who does all the commercials. Who really? Does, Gary, do you have any idea who that guy is? I know who he is, but I've never seen him. He lives in uh, Memphis, Tennessee. Hmm. And he does, he does this for radio stations all over the country. You know, the guys with the big boy voices... They can make a lot of money. It's a big thing now. So yeah. we had um, <clears throat> one of the days when Sean Moth was filling in. He was telling me about, you know, because he does voiceover work. He's got a great big booming voice. Mm-hmm. And he was saying how it's becoming, you know, you, now you like they're, they're able to hire it for cheap because people are doing it. Like the big voice guys now, they, they're, there's like four guys who do all the stuff. And mm-hmm. then the other markets don't want to pay for the, that second tier. They just want to go get like, hey, you can do this for free. Like, you know, that person. <laughs> like me doing the intro video last year. Like, that's, that's a perfect example for both the Bats and for U of L. Uh, you don't have to hire people with actual good voices anymore. You're still getting residuals for that? <laughs> I got no primary money for that. So no. Oh, okay. So no, I, I received nothing. Out of the but you got exposure, which is worth just as much. That exposure was like, hey, was that you? It was, it was, <laughs> it was very few people recognized. Like, I think that sounded kind of like you. I'm like, it was me. That, w- that was the exposure that I got. <laughs> Uh, Texture says, I was there at the Russ Smith re- jersey retirement. Uh, people thought that the cheering was for Patino. I think it was just a delayed Jeff Greer cheer. Greer was, <laughs> Greer was on the video that they did for 
uh, for Russ, which was funny. They had like a, oh, yeah. <laughs> a sit-down conversation. It was like him and it was some other people. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't, is that Greer texting in? I don't even know. But the Patino cheer was definitely was definitely very loud. I tell you what, we got to take a break. Before we do, reminding you about our guys over at First Bankers Trust. At First Bankers Trust, they work with each client individually to help you meet all of your financial goals. They offer a wide range of services, including investment management, trust and estate services, philanthropic services, and financial planning. For more information, visit firstbankerstrust.com. Bringing back the doctors of dunk, bringing back national runners-up teams, signing recruits, getting in the top five of five-star players. It all starts with one word, folks. Trust. First Bankers Trust. Firstbankerstrust.com. We'll take a break. We'll come back. More of your texts and more thoughts with Matt McGavick here on the Friday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 The Big X. When I step inside the room, them girls go eight, eight, eight. I'm a beast when you turn me on into the future Cybertron. Harder, faster, better, stronger. Sexy ladies, extra longer. Cause we get the. Let's go! Party rockers in the house tonight. Everybody just have a good time. And we gon' make you lose your mind. Final segment here of the Friday edition of the Mike Rutherford Show on 1450 and 96.1 The Big X. Reminder, you can always find every episode, every second on podcast. Just go wherever you find your podcast and search 1450 The Big X. You can find every episode of this show, Spears on Sports and the Hoosier Report with Matt Dennison. KRC gets their own. They've got their own section. That's fine. If you want to find their <laughs> section, you can find that. We've got Matt McGavick from Louisville Report in the house today. Kind enough to spend three hours with us. Last segment here of the week. Get your thoughts in while you can on the Thornton's text line at 502-414-1450. Matt, real quickly, kind of an overarching thing. When you uh, when you heard that Jeff Brown was going to be the guy, when he was going to be the hire, I think mm-hmm. that you know everybody knew it was going to be met with positivity from the fan base, but we can now give it like a... I don't want to say great. I don't want to do that. But the first month that we've had here with Jeff Brom, has it gone according to your plans, better than your your ideas? Overall thoughts here now as we are a month into the Jeff Brom era at Louisville. I, I think it's as successful as it can because I thought that the recruit, obviously recruiting took a little bit of hit when you lose Ruben Owens, DeAndre Moore. But the fact that they were able to keep the Bosco kids in the fold, it looks like they're going to be able to hold on to Jamar Johnson as well, keep other like highly talented guys in that class, retain most of the top starters. Of course, you lose a guy like Caleb Banks and a couple other guys in there, but you know, such is life with the transfer portal. But keep the team relatively intact, content, continue to go on a tear, or presumably going to continue going on a tear in the 2024 heading into the 2024 cycle and before even coaching a down of football at Louisville I it's hard to ask much more from Jeff Robbins especially considering what he, his efforts to the transfer portal and the the it's, it's clear he went into the transfer portal with a mindset of, of like okay I know the passing game was not optimal in the slightest this is going to be my very first the very first thing I address in the portal get a bridge quarterback which I know a lot of people think that this is just a one-year stopgap from Pierce Clarkson, but I think he's gives Louisville, I think Jack Plummer gives Louisville the a chance to be competitive, more than competitive in year one of the Brom era, and then he's 
starting to bring in his own his own guys through the transfer portal. It's hard to say his own guys when they've already had prior stops, but you know what I mean. Yeah. It's he's he clearly saw that this is what they needed to help with the most, and he wanted, and it's it's what his forte is 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 the passing game. So it's nice to see him trying to implant his his vision and his style at Louisville this early, or at least attempt to do. We don't. It's it could look completely different several months from now when the first game kicks off. But I, I like that he's taken initiative in the portal saying, like, okay, I saw that the passing game sucked last year. Here's what I'm going to do to fix it. Speaking of Plummer and the passing game, you guys, you do the the Pink Seeds podcast with the, the State of Louisville guys, which I highly recommend. Check it out, everybody. But your latest episode, you guys broke down the game of Plummer specifically. Um I don't want you, you don't have to give away like everything that, that is said, <laughs> but give us the quick synopsis, your quick breakdown of Plummer and why you think that, it, like you said, not just a one-year stopgap, somebody who can be a capable quarterback who can run Jeff Brom's system effectively. So a, a lot of Cal's overall deficiencies, not just maybe on offense, but just as a team, well, let's, well, let's stick on offense, was that their offensive line, I know I, we discussed this on Wednesday, Cal's offensive line was terrible. Uh-huh. They were horrible, very much not good. They allowed Plummer to get sacked 33 times for the year. And then uh, Jim McGill, the guy that we interviewed, he just straight up said, you could see after the first few games, it started to get to him a little bit. And not not only that, and where have we heard this part before? Cal's offensive scheme and philosophy was very bland, predictable, and vanilla. And so when they finally, I can't remember what the name of their offensive coordinator was, but when they finally got rid of him, and Cal still had maybe two games left in the season, I believe is what he said. They looked a lot better, and Plummer looked a lot better once they separated themselves from Cal's offensive line coach and their offensive coordinator. I'd have to pull up the numbers real quick, but that is what he said last night. While you're talking, I'm going to pull that up, actually. Sure. It all makes me feel better. Like I enjoy seeing that. I think at some point, too, you also just, like, trust Jeff Brom and I know that this rings of the the trust KP thing <laughs> the difference is Jeff Brom has been a head coach for a long time like, like he's gotten production out of his passing game everywhere he's gone he's been successful in that area everywhere he's gone and you do kind of at a point just say like I I trust him to take this quarterback the receivers that he's bringing in and turn it into something that can put up solid points on a weekly basis at Cardinal Stadium um, that's kind of where I am with it all. So Cal fired their offensive coordinator, who was both Bill Musgrave, who was both their offensive coordinator and their offensive line coach, fired him on November 13th. So there was actually a lot more football left to be played. Jeez. But after that, I mean, there was just Cal had just one more win on the season, mainly because their defense was just terrible. I think they were last time I checked, they were bottom 10 in all of division one. But a lot of Plummer's best games came on the back half of the schedule. I mean, he had three touchdowns and no picks against Washington, had a three touchdown, one pick game against Southern California, which I mean, their defense is terrible, but I mean, it's still a big name opponent, big name opponent, big game. Um, didn't have great games against Oregon state and Oregon, but his final game of the year against UCLA threw for 294, four touchdowns, no picks and 70% completion percentage. That'll do it. Yeah, in terms of his raw completion percentage, like the, the numbers indicate that they got better once they parted ways with Musgrave. Again, it all makes me feel more confident about next year's team than I than I think I was when we originally started talking about Jack Plummer, which is that's the goal. Thank you. Uh, and he and we talked a little bit about like what he is like 
off the field, like just like what he is as a person, a leader. And he said said he was a straight shooter. And I'll 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 go ahead and give this story away because I thought I thought it was funny. Uh, he's he's not someone that's going to dress up and give you a coach big answer. Like he's he's going to tell it how it is. And McGill recalled a time where he was asking Plummer, I think it was in spring ball, about what it meant to uh, come to Cal and uh, and for like academic purposes and you know the benefits that UC Berkeley can provide. And Plummer straight up said, "I'm just here for football." <laughs> I like it. Why not? I'm not here to play school. I enjoy it. Five zero two four one four fourteen fifty. We'll take some texts here before uh, we get out of here in about uh, twenty minutes or so. Texas Stoop is the high sixth highest paid coach in America. Pretty wild, but you can't deny the success. I think it's a KRT text, which is, man, it's six high. Is that right? Yeah. That's a yeah, lot. It's, he's high. It's a lot. But I, I thought it was ninth, but still, he's, a, he's the top ten. A top regardless. ten coach at Kentucky in college football is sort of an astounding thing, but he's, for the most part, delivered. I mean, last year, not so much, but yeah. whatever. By Kentucky standards, he's delivered. Texture says, I watch the new Coach 30, and I say you play it on the radio. It's pretty clean. It's not radio. You also need the visual. visual. Yeah, the, the visual is what sells it because Mike and I watched it like a couple breaks ago, and it is, oh, it's fantastic. It's very good. I enjoy, it's, it speaks we're, directly. We're not going to spoil it. You have to watch it. Yeah, you guys can watch it yourselves. Texture said, did you see Matt Bevan troll the entire state today? No. I, I mean, yes, but. I did, and I promptly told him to go away. <laughs> we don't need to get into it. We don't We don't need to. Texture says, uh Lots uh, those fundamentals aren't a learning curve. It's a sign that the coaching staff does not value those fundamentals enough to hold players accountable. I mean, I think there's. Uh, I can see where they're coming from, but again, regardless of the players you want in your system, you would think you'd have basic fundamentals down, right? You would. It's like the. I think when we were on Wednesday, when you were on Wednesday, we were talking about it. The guy who was arguing with me and saying, you know, everybody learns in eighth grade that you can't run down the middle of the floor when you got the ball in your hand on a fast break, you know, you get to the, the wings. And I was like, well, yeah, but you kind of just, just said it. He's like, he's like, this isn't a KP problem. It's the players. And I was like, well, I mean, if they don't know it, then like at some point, like that's someone has to tell them not on to do it. Yeah. The coaching staff. So it's like, there's not a point in which like you can no longer take in more basketball knowledge or coaching. The players or coaches argument is not going to stop anytime soon. No. Yeah. You know, it's, is it the players? Is it the coaches? I'm honestly shocked it took about, what, an hour and 49 minutes for us to finally reach the, is KP the guy discussion? Right. And it's, it's again, like it's, it's an unwinnable argument right now, which is strange given the fact that we've never been in this position. But let's say KP does get it turned around, overhauls the roster, and we're NCAA tournament good next year. Then you can say, yeah, it was just the players. We're crappy. And if we'd had better apples, then we, you know, maybe Chris Mack wouldn't have gotten fired either. Speaking of which, did you see Noah Locke? Lighting up number one UConn. Or previously oh, was he the catalyst last, in that game? I did not no, know that. No, the catalyst was the uh, Bryce Hopkins from Kentucky. He had like, <laughs> I think he had like 27 and, and 12, but Noah Locke had 17, and he hit the two daggers. He had a, a jumper in the lane and then a deep, deep three that kind of put it away for good in the final minute. And that place was going nuts. He was going nuts, and it was – I'm happy. Like Noah, I, I think – Maybe was kind of the unfairly criticized guy last year, which he shot a lot. Yeah, a little and that's bit. Gonna, you know, in a place like Louisville, it's always going to happen. when you're. He was the leading scorer on the team. He had games where he played really well, but uh, did not have the type of success that he was hoping for when he came here. But he's starting to have a I little mean, bit of providence. Yeah, I mean, there's no no other way to say it but to say like his shot selection wasn't that great. But like on this team, you would love to have a Noah Locke because what does this team need? A shooter. 
well, guards too. But well, and yeah. a guard. <laughs> <laughs> we need shooters. We need guards. We we need whatever you can give us. But he's he's having success up there at Providence. He's still not shooting it great. I I was worried he was going to go up there and shoot like fifty three percent from three this season, and we were all going to be like, what the hell? Um, but he, I mean, he was thirty seven last year. I think we all crucified him, and he'd be the best three point shooter on this year's team pretty easily. I think. Yeah. Um, statistically, he'd be right there with Jalen Withers. But he's he's having success. I'm happy for him. Texture says, a, a guy that sat next to my family at Cardinal Stadium always said, boom, boom, pal, whenever Bilal would break off a big run in 2010. <laughs> and I could never hear that song again without thinking about Bilal, pal. I like that, Tux. I do like that. I mean, there's there's worse things you can think about when recalling that song. So, happy memories. Did you see? We'll get back to the text line in a second, but I just thought, and I haven't brought it up yet. Did you see the... Speaking of, of clips that we cannot play on the show, the Fran McCaffrey, Mike Woodson thing last night in the Big Ten, <laughs> which has the angriest coaches in the history of college basketball. Fran did a Fran thing where he's out. Fran did his thing, yeah. Doing classic Fran stuff. Angriest man alive. Do you think he went FranCon 7, 8? Like, what, what do you think he is on the Fran McCaffrey scale? It was up there. It, this was not the angriest we've ever seen, but certainly, it was certainly there, angry. Yeah. He, he crosses midcourt, which is supposed to be an automatic technical. Yeah. He's going at the refs. He's going at IU assistants. He's going crazy. And a referee initially does the technical signal. Yeah. Whistles him for a technical foul. Then they talk about it and they take the technical away. Iowa winds up winning the game by two points. And Mike Woodson, again, a, a went on an all time rant. A rant that we cannot play any of on this show. Nope, not a second. Says multiple times that I think it's BS. BS yeah. He says the word, it's BS. Like he's supposed to get a T. He should have been thrown out of the GD game. He should have been thrown out of the GD game. The best part is he goes, it's 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 BS. And you can print that, which is an outdated <laughs> statement. But he, yeah. he tells straight, everybody straight up, like, feel free to use this on whatever network that you work for. Video this, share it, put it on your subscriptions, like and subscribe, whatever you want to do. I mean this, and I don't <laughs> care who knows it. Like, it was a very, very angry Mike Woodson. Now, maybe it was partially deflecting because Indiana has been struggling a little bit recently. And, and didn't they blow like a twenty-point lead in that they game? They were up twenty points in that game. Yeah. Which, you know, that's the McCaffrey technical should have happened. It also shouldn't have gotten to a point where that mattered or made a difference between winning and losing. Mm-hmm. But it's still he was justified in being upset about it. He still, I think, it just it felt like slight projection as far as like pay attention to this, don't pay attention to us blowing a 20-point lead and also having lost four of our last six games or whatever it is. But it was a it was a terrific rant and a terrific night in the Big Ten, which, again, has the angriest coaches. Everybody's mad in the Big Ten. You got Everybody. Jawan Howard slapping people, getting into it with refs. <laughs> you got you know Greg Gard getting into it with people. You've got I mean, Brad Underwood's yelling at everybody. Tom Izzo's yelling at everybody. And Underwood's getting mad to the point where he's having players leave his team. It's, it's just an angry, angry conference. But it's great theater on a nightly basis for sure. Is Fred Hoiberg still at Nebraska? He is still in Nebraska. He's pretty laid back. I was about to say, he's like the only one in the Big Ten who was just like, eh, I'm here. I mean, the man was coaching with what we thought was COVID on, the, on that night. That was the, that's the forgotten that, story. That is one thing I'll never forget from that night. We all were convinced that he had COVID. And he's like the one person who didn't. He was, yeah. Because we have the – it's that day where you have the, the Donovan Mitchell thing. And then that night, it's the early – it's the first night of the Big Ten tournament. So he's – as Nebraska tends to do, playing on the first night of the Big Ten tournament. And <laughs> he looks like he's dying on the bench. Like he's out He did there. not look good. He's ghostly white. And they're like, you got to. And finally, somebody in the second half was like, you got to go back to the locker room, man. Like, you're not aware of what's happening here. And then it turns out he just had like a, a bit really bad cold. But on that, that night, it seemed like a huge story. Uh, Texter says, no one 
y'all's about the turnover, the staff turnover for Jeff, that's a lot to overcome too. I don't know what that means. Is, is that a statement or a question? I mean, it's it's a big turnover, but he's also bringing he's also, he's also maintaining a lot of continuity from his guys at right. Purdue. Like it's like that's it, it's not abnormal. Yeah, I mean, he's he's retaining Ivy, which a lot of the, a lot of the fans and a lot of the players wanted, and he's brought what six of his ten position assistants from Purdue. So there's still some continuity there. I mean, obviously he's going to have to bring in, and he already has reportedly brought in at least one guy who is going to be brand new. But I mean, it's not like he's bringing in ten fresh faces that like there's no familiarity whatsoever with anyone involved yeah those guys have a report and i think you know richard owens is coming in who was on staff here in which is a, a great hire it if is you ask me and he's you know they clearly have a relationship and richard knows the program i'm sure he knows pete nocta uh, from his time here it, it seemed like there's gonna be a lot of continuity on the staff it's just not a whole lot of guys that were here the last few seasons right. which is normal texture says uh taylor switch is awful and anyone who is a big <laughs> fan is missing brain cells well <laughs> Gary liked it. Missing brain cells. I like that. It's a lot of people. I mean, she's got a lot of fans. You got a lot of brainless people out there, apparently. But she, uh, yeah, she's she's quite popular these days. I hear. I did watch her like Netflix special, which granted, like all of those. She's those, got a Netflix special. Like last year, it came. Oh, she, okay. she had a concert special, but she also had like a documentary. And I'm always weary of, of those. Wary of, of those, where like they're the executive producer. Because you know it's you know it's it's one of those where your your negatives are going to be negatives that you you want out there. Right. Like, it's never going to be like oh my god she's drunk and she just urinated all over herself and they've got it on video like she's not going to let that get out or anybody. No. But it was still it was it was interesting to see you know how she handles herself. <clears throat> Texture says now we're <laughs> Mike Rutherford show three to four sports four to five sports five to six sports. I thought y'all were an entertainment show. It used the format used to be three to four rated PG some sports, four to five rated PG thirteen some sports, five to six rated R the witching hour. We're going down the rabbit hole now. That's what happened when TK goes away for a while, but I also don't know why. Like you're supposed to save the most PG hours for the hours when you're going to have like kids in the car. So like morning show, like the seven to eight hour, you're supposed to kind of keep it a little bit, you know, down, and then like from nine to ten, you can get a little bit loose. We save like the worst, most off the beaten path stuff for five. Like, <laughs> Trevor comes out and tells the most horrific stories at five oh five every day, and I'm like, this is this is not what you're supposed to do. People are just getting off work. People are picking their kids up. We've got, and Trevor's like, yeah, well, they gotta learn one day. When I had the porn DVD stuck in my grandma's PlayStation, which is an actual story that he told on this on this radio station at five oh five. When I was like a month into doing the show, and I'm like, I don't know if this is gonna work. I don't, I, I don't know how this is gonna go. Uh, I haven't heard that. One. <laughs> well, you're not gonna hear it again because I'm not gonna let him tell it again. It's stuck in there. He couldn't get it out, and apparently, it's I think still to this day that DVD is still stuck in his uh, is the PlayStation Three that his grandmother used to own. I can't understand why his grandmother would have a PlayStation 3 in the first place unless she's I'm pretty, pretty it, sure she was she's just, a gamer. I think she used it as a DVD player. I think it used to be Trevor's. That's and then true, she, yeah. You can, yeah, yeah. And yeah. then he was horrified that she was going to start watching DVDs again one day, and it was going to be a bad moment. But that's that's Trevor. That's who he is. Texture says, I believe more people recognize your voice than you think. Everyone picked up on Cards Are Back, Baby, or whatever it was in that football video. That They did use that. They used that out of context, though, in the – the pregame video for football um, like three or four years ago. Because the actual quote that I gave, and they used it during the like the U of L like preseason hype video. 
I was like, Louisville basketball is back, baby. And it feels so, so good. And they just like, they cropped it in the football video. They're like, Louisville's back, baby. And it feels so, so good. But that was a surreal moment. I, we would go do the, the pre-pregame shows at Cardinal Stadium that year. And then like, you'd walk down and they'd start doing like the, the team running out in the field thing. And like, I'd hear my voice there. And I was like, oh, that's, that's, that's me. I, don't, I, I hate <laughs> hearing my voice. We all do. Everybody does. I get to the point, like when I'm coming out, when I leave here, if the radio station is still on the station, I want to get in the car and like, I'm not held like my own ad. I'm like, nope, real quickly. Could not press the button faster. Just want to get yeah, the, the running joke on from the pink seats is that I'll never listen to any episode because I hate hearing my own. The only episodes I'll ever listen to are ones that I'm not on that I have to like miss because I'm covering another sport or because like I've got to be up early the next day. Like I won't listen to the episodes where I'm on because I hate that. I, sound I can't of my do voice. it. I can't do it either. I, I never. And you should like in radio, you should listen to yourself and critique yourself. And, you know, I've got this tick. I say this too much or I've. I need to slow down or I need to speed up and I can't do it. Like I, I just, I cannot make it happen. You know, back when I was playing music on, on the radio, it actually made me a better sounding jock when we started what they call voice tracking, where you go in the studio and it takes about 30 or 45 minutes for you to do a four hour show. And then you can go home and listen to yourself in real time. And, and my wife was like, well, why are you doing that? And I'm like, well, you know, I'm, couple of things I did on the air suck, and I won't do them again. <laughs> and I didn't realize that till I hurt myself. That's why you're That's a true a pro. Point. That's why you're a true pro. I'm, just, I'm, a, I'm a fake pro. You're, you're a true pro. Uh, Texter says, do you share the same sentiments as your fellow USBWA colleague, Seth Davis, that Brad Brownell should get a lifetime contract? Um, Brad Brownell's a good coach. I think he's always, he's always had a reputation for being a good X's and O's coach. He just hasn't had a whole lot of talent there. And they're, I mean, they're 4-0 in the ACC. Uh, Seth Davis, by the way, yeah, the, I don't even know if I'm on. I, I'm supposed to be on the USBWA board as the social media representative. I've been that for three years, but this year I just didn't pay my dues. <laughs> like, I wasn't even a member of the USBWA when they put me on the board. And they're like, hey, can you pay us like $50? And this year I'm like, no. Like, I'm, I'm so, the only thing that I do, I get to pick the national player of the week once a year. And they have these these like board conference calls which are just Seth Davis talking and everybody else listening and then people voting and saying yay or nay. And like, I'm not even paying attention. So I'm just like chiming in whatever everybody else says. I just say too. They're like, yay. I'm like, yay. And that's it. Like, that's the only thing. So they're like, I'm like, cool. You put me on the board. That's fine. But like, I'm not, I'm not paying the money this year. I'm sorry. It's not happening. But Brad Brownell. He should be paying you. That's exactly. I've, I've debated paying, like becoming a part of the football writers association of America, but you know, that dues. Uh. I don't think it does anything for you. Does it though? You get the, I mean, Trevor was in the U.S. He says that all the time. Oh, he God. was the football writer. He was in the FWAA. I think you get a vote for stuff, but like, all you get is kind of like that that almanac where like it sends you like the people at the contact directory. Like that's mm. that's pretty much all you get. I like, mean, it's it can be useful if you if you travel a lot. It's good for connections, I, I think. But I'm not really. Does Trevor ever go on Yelp and uh, talk about fast food restaurants? <laughs> <laughs> it would take too much effort. Oh, I see. He just shares them on the radio. He just shares his opinions there. It would to open up the app and type some stuff out it would take, I think, too much work. Texas says if Harbaugh goes to the NFL, how long before KSR says start saying Vince Merrow to Michigan? Oh my God. The Harbaugh stuff the first is, week. I mean, so it broke last night that the NCAA is launching investigations into Michigan's program, which kind of explains his out of nowhere, seemingly out of nowhere, interest in the NFL. But the I haven't read the report. Like the it sounds like the violations are Harbaugh was like 
the the rumor that his level one violation was buying a recruited hamburger. Hamburger, and then like watching contacting recruits during the COVID break period. That was it. It all sounds like not not that big a deal. A big honestly, deal. like yeah, I mean like at, not big enough that I would abandon the Michigan program right now when it's kind of starting to roll. But I don't know. Maybe it is. Texas, thank God Trevor isn't here to tell Matt the DVD story. I could not agree more. <laughs> now I'm curious. So that day, it was it was like legitimately one of the first month and a half. So Trevor tells that story in the, to begin the 5 o'clock hour. And then like we see two people. They're being very loud when we are, are doing live radio. Trevor shushes one of them. It turns out it's pastor bob or like the guy who owns the entire company the entire media group trevor shushes him he's with somebody else who's very large we're talking about on air i'm like that guy's huge who is that it turns out to be brandon bender who i (laughs) i I had talked disparagingly about the day before and like i was like what is happening to the show i'm like i don't even know what to say right now we've never had a five o'clock hour go so far off the rails as that one. Now, was that when you were over in Jeffersonville? No, Pat- we were here. Okay. Well, I heard the story that Trevor, one day when you guys had to go, had to do the show from Jeffersonville, that Pastor Bob came in to Jeffersonville, and uh, Trevor did not recognize him, and Trevor kicked him out of the, out of the control room. I think that's oh what this gosh. was. I think that I think that probably was this, because he came in, the, and Trevor's like, Oh, ah, okay. And then, like, I'm on the air talking, and I can't see what's going on. And Trevor talks to him, and he's like, kind of like, he's like, hey, man, I'm, I'm Pastor Bob. And Trevor, like, oh, my God. Like, they're still having a conversation on air. But, yeah, he tried to, he's like, sh- and like, tried to, like, shut the door on him. That was here. <laughs> yeah, that, that story made the rounds. This was, like, my first month on the job, too. I'm like, what have I gotten myself into? Texture says, Mike, the news around the football program in the next 24, 48 hours is on your best hits list. Boner jams. Yeah, it is. That's that's now that's what I call boner jams. That's I couldn't be more excited about it. <laughs> Texas, I love the Coleman signing. Any news of offensive linemen in the portal that might be close to committing? We talked about the Flores kid who got a scholarship offer from Louisville today. As far as what our status is and our chance to land him, to be determined. TBD. <clears throat> All right, end of the show here. We got to talk. We we have to do it. Friday tradition game on Saturday. The card's sticking on Wake Forest tomorrow. I don't think the line is out. I'd be willing to bet that it's going to be somewhere in the, the vicinity of Wake Forest by eight or nine points. Mm-hmm. But the Cards looking to snap uh, a three-game losing streak, looking to win their first game in ACC play. Matt McGavick, what's the likelihood that it happens? Give us a prediction. Uh, not very. I'm going to go, I mean, just bluntly. I'm, sure. I, with all the shooters that Wake Forest has, I, I think at least one of them for sure, two of them might have a hot night. I'm going to go Wake Forest 79 Louisville 70. My fear with the Syracuse game is that it was – we played hard for 40 minutes, don't get me wrong. But my fear is that it was so close and it looked so much better because it was a a style that maybe was you – know, they're kind of they're, – they're soft. They're not overly physical. Mm-hmm. We struggle with man-to-man defense. Maybe they were a little bit more easier to defend. Maybe the, our zone offense looked a little bit better. I don't – we'll find out tomorrow. I'm going to – this may be overly bold. I'm saying we cover for a four straight game. Narrow All right. I'm going to say Wake wins, but I'm going to go one point better than you. Wake wins 78-70. Cards cover if that if it is, in fact, a nine-point point spread for a four straight game, but unfortunately fall short. Regardless of what happens, we're going to see you guys on Monday at 3 o'clock. Matt, big thanks not just for today but for uh, the two days this week. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me come in. I'm sure we'll be talking to you again soon. Trevor will be back on Monday, so whatever happens this weekend – 
you'll hear his thoughts and, and also his thoughts on his museum world tour that he's just not getting back I from. Can't wait to hear that story about the Louvre. None of us can. None of us can. It's <laughs> going to be fantastic. Everyone have a fantastic weekend. We'll see you guys back here Monday at 3 o'clock. Every day I'm shuffling. Step up fast and be the first girl to make me throw this cash. We get mine, don't be mad. Stop. Hating is bad. One more shot for us. Another round. Please fill up a cup. Don't mess around. We just want to see. Just take it out. Shuffle, 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 shuffle